things it needs, things that need to be maintained, fixed, or replaced. The Home Depot is here to help you get it done. You can easily find what you need on our app, order it online with the push of a button, and have it brought to your door with free delivery on over a million items. We have the essentials you need, the online know-how you may need to do it yourself, and low prices that make it all possible. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Right now, it feels like the world's standing still. But if you look to the land, it's a whole different story. From farms to backyards, wheels are turning, seeds are being planted, animals are getting fed, grass is growing, and families are giving their all to the soil. Because no matter how uncertain things get, the land never stops. So to all those linked to the land, John Deere says thank you. We're here for you because we all run together. Nothing runs like a deer. Right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. everybody we welcome you back it's the justin kinner show live here on dayton's espn radio station 1410 wing am i hope you've had a great weekend and we are hitting the ground and we are off and running here on a monday one thing about the nfl draft that really irritated the hell out of me over the weekend was is that every time they would put a player profile up on the screen it would always have like some kind of very personal bullet point in there about that particular player's life. And I don't understand it. Kev, did you notice some of the crazy-ass things that were being posted? I mean, we'd be like, T. Higgins, uh, played football since he was X years old. Uh, fantastic, you know, all-American track athlete, all this, all that. Mom was on crack. Like, what? Horrible. Like, and that's ridiculous. And, you know, it's funny, my girlfriend and I... Like, one thing, like, she likes to watch is, like, American Idol and those type of shows. And we always laugh and make fun of them because you can never just have a good singer. You have to have a good singer that has some kind of, hor- like, you know, oh, my mom was addicted to drugs growing up. But, you know, I just sang through all the troubles. And here I It's like, why do you have to? It's like, my mom was on crack. This is American Idol. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's what this past weekend was for the NFL draft. And it's like, you weren't going to get drafted unless you had some horrible thing that you went to. Why couldn't it just be? All A's in high school, straight A student in college, fantastic kid, boom. Like, what the hell does it have? Why, why does his mom being on crack have to do with anything? I thought it was, now, to T. Higgins' credit, came out and said that he was proud of his mom's story and glad that she's a, you know, I, I get that. But mm-hmm. he shouldn't even had to be put in a position to say that he approves it. I just think it wasn't necessary. For me, the fan, I'm not tuning in to find out whose draft picks are have come from crack backgrounds. Like, I don't care about that. Yeah, this whole NFL process for me has always been weird you know from the nfl combine from dudes walking around in their underwear and then checking them out and stuff like that that that's always been weird to me and also like the the interview questions that they're allowed to ask you know yep. if you go back to the des bryant situation um asking if his mom was a prostitute what does that have to do with his ability to catch a football to run routes to block Absolutely nothing. And people will argue, uh, well, these guys, the owners are paying these guys millions and millions of dollars to do that. Like, well, so? But his background has nothing to do with that. him as a person. I'm not a big fan of it. I also wasn't a big fan of every time J.K. Dobbins was scoring a touchdown last year, we heard a story about his father being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, man, that's not cool, man. Like, I mean, I, I guess if, if a player... And the athlete is okay opening up to a reporter about that. I guess it's fair game. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe they asked J.K. and he was fine with it. And they asked T. Higgins. He was fine with it. But for me, like, personal stuff is personal. 
Like, it seemed like everybody on there, like you said, had a tragedy. Like, oh, his grandmother died of cancer, and they were real close. Like, yo, this is just too much. It's just too much, man. Too much personal information about these guys are out to the public. I mean, we already know their their Wonderlick scores. We know uh, if they were... Uh, if they failed a drug test, uh, we we don't know that about you. If you work at McDonald's or you work at Lowe's, we don't know your personal information. Why do we need to know your, these guys' personal background stories like that? That's not fair to them as people. Like it's called personal information for a reason. This is a personal family matter. Yeah, I just and, and again, you know, and, and to be a little serious here about the, I was joking about the American Idol thing, but it's true. Like you cannot watch one of those singing shows without. They have to not just let the person sing and then you dictate, oh, man, that person has a really good voice. It's, oh, man, that person who came from a single home who grew up in a bad part of town has a really good voice. Why do we need to know? I'm assuming that They're from that perspective. They're overcoming so much. Like, so for those type of shows, I make fun of it, but I, I guess they do it so that maybe those out there who come from similar backgrounds can connect with that singer. And maybe, you know, but as far as the NFL draft is concerned, I don't – why – I don't know if do you already know enough about these athletes to connect with them. Why mm -hmm. do why do you, I need to know that this person's grandparents passed away when he was young for me to root for this kid to be drafted? You should be rooting for these kids to draft be drafted no matter what. It's unfortunate what a lot of these kids go through. I would you know do some kids come from backgrounds that would you know be interesting feature pieces to run on a sports center or something? Absolutely, but that has nothing to do with the NFL draft. I don't really care about the backgrounds of these kids as far as that's concerned. I just need to know unless it's something that. You know, like, unless that's playing a role in why a player is dropping. Hey, uh, because right. this video surfaced of, you know, remember the gas, what athlete was that? It was the offensive lineman. that just Larry got Tussle. Yeah, and uh, he just, he's like the highest paid offensive lineman in the league now. Um, but I remember when that came out, that, you know, it is what it is. You know that people are just sitting on some stuff, on some dirt with some of these kids to be able to throw out there uh, to ruin the nights for these kids. But that I understood. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm pulling for T. Higgins in Cincinnati, not because of what his mom went through and his upbringing, but because he's a super talented wide receiver mm -hmm. who has a chance to make the Bengals a really good team. I did not need to know that about his mom. I feel bad that that's a life that he had to grow up in, but at the same time, I shouldn't have to feel bad about it because I shouldn't know about it because I think it's one of those it's a need-to-know thing. And I don't think that the NFL draft should use those types of things as a need-to-know basis for its audience. Agree or disagree, 457-9464. I know that, you know... On social media, people were just lighting ESPN up for that stuff. Low-hanging um, fruit, man. Yeah. I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. So, over the weekend as well, a couple of big takeaways. How about in the first round, we talked about the Green Bay Packers trading up to grabbing, you know, potentially, you know, Jordan Love, potentially Aaron Rodgers' replacement at some point down the road. Who knows? But the Philadelphia Eagles also made a very surprising pick. We had talked a lot about Jalen Hurts potentially going to, to Pittsburgh uh, to be in that, you know, waiting in, the, waiting in the weeds type of guy, you know, until Big Ben kind of hangs his boots up and, and decides to, you know, retire and go away. We thought Jalen Hurts would most likely end up there. He ends up in Philly. Uh, Carson Wentz has already received, a, received an extension uh, not just a season ago. Um, but let's be clear. I don't think that those – I think that we over, we look too much into those types of things when a team extends a quarterback. So many things change from year to year. And we could see him be really – like that, that money, I know we make a big deal about it, and you can criticize how teams spend money. But at the end of the day, this is a situation where if Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback, he's going to get the job. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we have learned about Carson Wentz is that his best ability is not his availability. Like that's been his problem. Right. So. 
for those out there that are saying, oh, Jalen Hurts, he's not going to get a shot. Oh, he'll get a shot. Mm-hmm. History has shown that he will get a shot. And if he doesn't, that's probably a good thing for the Philly, for, for the for the Phillies, for the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles. It's a good thing for the Philadelphia Eagles because that means Carson Wentz stayed healthy. And if we see Jalen Hurts in 2020, it's because, hey, he's not. You know, that obviously Carson Wentz is not living up to the hype or that he got hurt. And I think that's the situation there. But I thought that was a very interesting draft pick there that a lot of people are scratching their heads over, um, but nonetheless. But your takeaways from the 2020 NFL draft, you feel good about what your team accomplished? Uh, Are you upset about what your team did? This might be the first NFL draft where Bengals fans are not losing their mind. It might be the first NFL draft in a while where Browns fans aren't pulling their hair out. It's a very interesting time right now in the National Football League. Let's go to uh, Jerry. Jerry, thanks for holding, man. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Hey, it's been a while. What you got for us, man? Well, man, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I'm kind of a mix on the personal information thing. So I'm okay with the teams knowing that. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. But we, the public, no. We, there's, we have no business of knowing that. I mean, it, now, unless it's been reported out in the media or something like that. Oh, no. Uh, absolutely, especially the like the very detailed ones. Like, and I, to be honest, someone's grandparents dying, or hey, you know, he lost his dad when he was young, who he was real close yeah. to. I guess that's not the the worst thing that was put out there. But I thought putting someone's mom out on blast about drug issues, I I just thought that was beyond crossing the line. I, you know, how many, you know, oh, his dad was arrested when he. Those are things that I know these kids don't want put out there. But no. interesting nonetheless. No, right, I agree. I mean, at some point, man, I mean, look, Lord knows, they run, they're going to live in a fishbowl bowl enough. They don't need, you know, the media doesn't need any help with any of that stuff. So, yeah, I don't think, I don't think we have any business to know. In terms of the actual draft, though, man, I tell you what, I thought your Browns did pretty well. I thought your Cowboys just had, like, the draft just fall right to them. It was unbelievable. The Bengals did well. I'm scratching my head about the Packers. You know, as good as Cincinnati and Cleveland's draft was, though, guys, I wonder, did you really make up a lot of ground with Baltimore, though? My God, they got a boatload of players. What do you Uh, think? It's one of those things where did they make a did they do enough to make up ground with Baltimore? I think that they did do enough. The problem is, and give Baltimore credit. What I love about what Baltimore does is is that a lot of teams who are good, it's almost like they mentally take drafts off where they're like, hey, we don't feel the urgency in this draft, although you always should. But I think you see teams like Baltimore who will take chances in drafts like this more because, hey, we're set up for the next year or two. We could be a little aggressive and take chances on guys that maybe we wouldn't in years past. But they're just they're so confident in their ability to scout and to be able to take a look at these guys. The, the Ravens knocked it out of the park. So although the Browns and Bengals gave it their best effort, the Ravens just continue to keep that gap between them. Good for the Ravens because they could have sat back and said, "We got the MVP quarterback. We like what we have." They knocked the hell out of this draft, uh, out of this 2020 draft. Uh, you got to, you know, I don't feel good about it, but I'm happy for it, man. Good for them, dude. It's like me watching the Chiefs, right? You just got to tip your hat to them. I mean, I felt like I was watching the draft, and I feel like every time Baltimore's name came up in the first couple rounds, I looked at my wife and I thought they're going to take this person, and they did. Yep, because you know who a Baltimore player is. Right? Fast, physical, and I mean, you know, when Queen's still on the board, you knew they would take them. J.K. Dobbins, I knew they would take him. Um, but I think Cleveland helped themselves too. My only question about the Cleveland draft is can, and I think he can, will be can Wills play left tackle? 
that was the question, you know, Mark, there. Look, they wanted originally a lot of mock drafts, especially heading into that first round. Uh, they had the injured Thomas kid out of Georgia that, uh, out of Georgia that ultimately went to gone. the Giants. Uh, yeah. The Giants, surprised, in, in typical Giants form, uh, they picked someone there way up at the top that many people did not really expect. But the injured Thomas from Georgia was supposed to go to Cleveland. Obviously, the second man up for Cleveland on their board um, was the Wills Jr. kid out of Alabama. But you're right. That's the big question mark. But, hey, you know what? I, I think that Cleveland addressed the offensive line. Yeah. That's If I can give them the edge over Cincinnati in anything, it is that. Um, Cincinnati has a lot of really good skill players, but I still got a question. I think that they're delusional if they think that they have enough at the offensive line to be effective next year. They, had a, they did a great paint job on their car, but, man, that engine sure is crap, if you ask me. Well, yeah, but th- let's be honest. They had a lot. They have a lot of holes to fill, and it wasn't going to get done. Yeah, but when you're when you're getting your franchise quarterback, I don't care about all the other holes. You know, the only holes you got to fix are that offensive line, and I thought that was very dangerous to them to sit there and roll the dice on that. To be honest with you, well, they do get the William kid, Williams kid. So there's that. But I people agree. keep I mean, saying that. But the thing is. What, He's we, one person we, out of five. We already know what that line can do, and they can't do anything. And getting one back, okay, so what does that do? But, no, you're right. But, again, if they think that that one piece is going to all of a sudden elevate everyone around him and protect Joe Burrow, it's not. Especially when you look at those D lines in that AFC North. You look at Cleveland's. You look at Baltimore's and Pittsburgh's. They should not have been focusing so much on taking five linebackers. They should have made sure that they had some offensive linemen in there. And they only had one, and it was late in the draft. Boy, I'd lo- if I was a Cleveland fan, I'd love to see them go ahead and spend some money on to to Davy and Clowney. I know that, or 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 at least the is it Griffin from Minnesota and put someone on the other side of uh, Miles. Oh my gosh. That pass rush right there will be unbelievable. My thing is, is that's fine if Cleveland does that, and I like the you know the Dolphin kid that they got out of LSU. Um, I'm still a little concerned about that secondary. Still some question marks there. So they might have a dominant pass rush, but if they don't have a secondary that's going to be able to capitalize on some of the quick decisions that those quarterbacks, opposing quarterbacks, are forced to make, uh, I don't know. The forced turnovers have to be a thing of focus for Cleveland this year. They they did it uh, Baker's rookie year uh, last year. That was not the case. One of the worst teams at forcing turnovers. Well, and do you guys have guys in the back end who want to tackle? And that's the, that's the problem with him. Teams. Yeah, he's yeah. not a great tackler. That's my that's my concern as well. Right, but and you guys play in Baltimore twice a year. You better have some dudes you can tackle because they're going to run it right at you. Absolutely. So, but anyway, and as far, one last point on my Raiders. I, I know some people love this draft. I know some people hate that draft. I tell you what, and, and maybe I'm an Ohio State homer, right? But I really don't see a problem with considering Damon Arnett a top-five corner in this draft. My God, he was the best press corner on Ohio State's team, including Okuda. So he got a, he got the occasional flag from time to time, but my goodness, he was playing with a broken right wrist this year and still only allowed 40% pass completion. I mean... It was, an, it was, it was a... It was an aggressive move by the Raiders, but you know what? It's one of those that we might be looking at. This is why I don't like grading drafts at this point yeah. because, uh, you know, it's easy to sit there and point at all the reasons why they shouldn't, but ultimately a year from now we'll be saying all the reasons that they made the right choice or made the wrong choice. So I've not a big fan of grading before. However, there are certain teams you could look at and say, oh, they definitely nailed this draft considering what we do know right. about these. The Raiders, it was a questionable pick. You're right, but, hey, the Bengals, they took Joe Pearl. That was the best quarterback to take there and to get well, T. Higgins where they did, man. Good for them. My point is, Arnett's not a questionable pick in my mind. I've watched him play plenty of football up in Columbus, and I think the kid can play. I I have no problems with the Arnett pick. 
And two more points about the Raider draft, and I'll let you go. One, Henry Ruggs. Yep. Um, I tell you, man, he's bigger, faster, and got better hands than Tyreek Hill did coming out of college. And the Lynn Bowden kid, that kid, they drafted him. He's going. They're going to try and make him a Christian McCaffrey type player. And given the fact that he ran for fourteen hundred yards in the SEC in eight games as a rushing quarterback when everybody knew what was coming, I think he's got a pretty good shot. All right. Hey, Jerry, it's been a while. We're glad to hear from you. You take care. Have a great night. You too, guys. Bye. Later. All right. Four, five, seven, nine, four, six, four. Ohio State, again, just continuing to dominate in this draft. Ten Buckeyes drafted over the weekend. We'll hear from Buckeye fans on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Right here on ESPN Dayton. 1410 Wing AM. Justin Kenner Show live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station. 1410 Wing AM. Dayton Flyers' Adam Troutman was drafted Friday night in the third round of the NFL draft. The New Orleans Saints and Sean Payton came a knocking, or at least it came a calling. Uh, Adam Troutman joined me earlier this afternoon on 1410 Wing Live. It's our new social media live show that we do uh, throughout the week. Today's show we did at 1.30. I've uh, avoided telling you guys the set time for this show, mainly because uh, a lot of the time of the show is dependent on when the guest can join us. Uh, as we don't like to pre-record that, we want to make sure we're bringing you a live guest, a live guest that you can interact with and ask questions during the interview. So make sure you're following along on Facebook. Use the search ESPN 1410 Wing AM on Facebook to like the Facebook page. Uh, you'll get a notification when we go live every day. Plus, I'll always put uh, a preview of what we're doing that day early in the morning so you'll know what time to tune in for that interview. But Adam Troutman, great stuff there. In the Facebook Live video that we did, uh, we aired the video of him receiving the call from Sean Payton, uh, and we... Just you know, you got to actually see him in the moment, find out uh, when and where he would be drafted to. So really cool. Make sure you check out that video at wingam.com. We'll have the Adam Troutman interview uh, from earlier today coming for up for you at four o'clock. So make sure you keep it locked in here uh, on fourteen ten. ESPN Radio. As I announced earlier, the Cleveland Browns have exercised a have exercised fifth year options on the contracts of uh, Miles Garrett and of course Njoku, the tight end for the Browns, and Garrett, the pass rusher who missed a good chunk of last season due to suspension after swinging the helmet, um, of course, in that big brawl with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I hate the Steelers. Why did you look at me? I didn't do anything. I didn't even say anything. Well, you're you're part of the Steelers, man. That's, that's what fact. That's, that's what you fact. get. Uh, but no, that's a big one right there. Again, uh, talks about how Garrett made the Pro Bowl in 2018 and has 30 and a half sacks in just 37 games played over his first three NFL seasons, which is a franchise record. He had 10 sacks in 2019 before being suspended indefinitely again with the situation that you know involved. Uh, Mason Rudolph with the Steelers as we as we talked about. So, look, uh, they go on to say that exercising Garrett's fifth year was an easy decision, and the team plans to try and sign him to a second contract. And I think that um, this is one of those situations where Cleveland is going all in. I think that they have a short window. It's already about to start with as far as the, the dishing out of the big dollars. And I think that when you talk about the importance of having a dominant pass rusher, uh, obviously that's Miles Garrett. The Cleveland Browns are going to have to open up the wallet to pay him. They're going to have to make decisions 
decisions over the next couple of years of paying their pass rusher, uh, paying their quarterback, paying their running back, paying their running backs. They have multiple. You have a lot of money invested into OBJ from the existing contract that was traded over with him from the New York Giants. Jarvis Landry, a great secondary receiver in that mix, but you just, you know, the People's Jones draft pick from over the weekend. Is he an insurance policy if they cannot keep one of those two, talking about Jarvis Landry or OBJ? There are a lot of question marks as far as who the Browns plan on investing money into. And here's the scary part. Outside of Miles Garrett, the only player, that's the only player that I mentioned that's on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Vernon and those guys, these are good defensive pieces, but I think that with what the Browns have been able to draft and put together and piece together on the offensive side is very special. From the tight end, the tight ends, uh, to the multiple running backs, to the multiple wide receivers, to addressing the offensive line. I love what the Browns front office is able to do in the transition from, obviously, you know, with the new regime taking over and what they did in this draft. They kept that offense intact, which I think was a smart move. And I love that they did that. Give this Browns team a chance to, to, to gel offensively because I do believe it would have been a mistake to prematurely separate these guys. I think that if Baker lives up to the hype and, and can go back to what you know shades of what he was his rookie year with an OBJ, with Jarvis clicking on all cylinders, I mean, th- that's a dangerous offense. My concern is the defensive side. you got to pay Miles Garrett. you got to make sure you keep him. But they got to make sure that the focus moving forward is addressing linebacker, you know, hopefully the Dolphin pick, you know, the safety out of LSU is their safety for years to come and that they hit a home run there. Denzel Ward, obviously the cornerback of Ohio State, had that fantastic rookie season. He's had an issue staying healthy and staying out on the field. Um, he's had a lot of concussions. That's my biggest concern for him is that um, because sometimes that's not a, you know, there's only one way to play football, and that's aggressive. And you can't tell – you could tell guys different ways to, to attack and, and all that, but when you start taking the aggressiveness away, even if they're out on the field, if they're not playing at the level that you're accustomed to seeing them, they're not basically not the same player. So secondary issues, linebacker issues, that's my concern for the Cleveland Browns moving forward. But I am a fan of hearing that the Browns are already working on finding a way to extend Miles Garrett, putting the tag on him uh, – you know, this season was smart, and they did the same thing with Njoku. Njoku, I do not see being with the Browns after this season. Mm. I don't see, I mean, you just made Hooper the highest-paid tight end. If Njoku has a great complimentary year with Hooper, I don't see how you can justify paying him and Hooper that much money when you got to find a way to pay Miles Garrett, and you have the contracts of Chubb and Baker coming up that they have to make tough decisions for. You're probably right, and some other team's going to offer him a lot of money, so he's probably just going to try to walk. walk or trade him. Uh, and my thing is, you can get tight ends in the draft, especially if you have, like, what I mean by that, like, you, if you have Hooper for a few more years, and he's one of the highest paid, he's the highest paid tight end in football right now, you, it, right now they're taking advantage of the fact that they could put in Joku with him, but, like, I think that that's one of those, you have the highest paid tight end, you're not going to go invest more money into that position outside of just drafting one of the top tight ends in football that year. And that's usually a position that doesn't go high in the draft. So if Cleveland is winning games and they're picking, hopefully not too far in the middle, but if they're picking towards <laughs> the end, good tight ends are usually available at the back half of a draft. So I think Cleveland can address that next year's draft if it comes down to it. Fair, fair. So uh, that's that. But I am concerned about their secondary. I like Denzel Ward when healthy, but that's the big question mark. And Dolpit is still a rookie. I don't care what anyone says. I like the, the get from LSU, but until you see him out on the field, I don't know. I don't trust rookie secondary guys. I just don't. You know, you brought up the whole LSU connection to the Browns. You know, basically everybody in Ohio kind of roots for the Saints because they got a whole bunch of Buckeyes on the same. I wonder if LSU fans are now Browns fans. 
That's a good, yeah, because it's that same type of same type of deal, you know, because they probably have their little, you know, team sites that always, you know, find out where their guys are and keep track. But yeah, the Cleveland LSU North, the, the, the Cleveland Tigers, go Tigers, go Browns. It was around here. Could be their future head coach. You never know. Oh goodness, already, dude. Goodness, it's the Browns. You act like I'm the crazy one for saying. I think people are saying, man, Kev's done surprised that they might be looking for a new coach. <laughs> I wonder if Ed Orgeron would ever become an NFL. I think he has the personality to be an NFL coach. I think it would wear. I think it would wear on guys eventually, if they're not willing to accept coaching. Strikes me as a college lifer. They have a national championship. I wonder how much time. I mean, if he didn't win a national title this year, I'm not saying he would have been on the hot seat, but his seat was never completely bulletproof. Facts. I think it it gives him a three year window of bullet of being bulletproof. But we'll see. Three. Look how long Les Miles got. After he won a national championship with somebody else's players, and rolled that out for like at least like he just eight took a years today, by the way. Did he? Oh, for the uh, COVID nineteen and the AD and the rest of the staff at Kansas. Yep. So I thought that was interesting too. You might see a lot of that stuff moving forward. I mean, who knows? But no, you're right. I, I mean. He's one to keep an eye on moving forward. I don't know what to expect with LSU next year. Uh, I do not like when people say, "Well, you know, it's going to be a bounce back year." You lose your work. It was a bounce back year for Ohio State after losing Dwayne Haskins, and you went right into Justin Fields. It was a bounce back year for Alabama after you know you you end up losing out on you know Jalen Hurts. You replace him with Tua. Tua, you know, trust me, these elite teams. If you want the respect and the perception of being one of the elite. I'm not saying that every year there should no be bump in the road, but LSU has a chance here to demand that respect two years in a row and say, hey, last year we had doubters saying that, hey, we, you know, we're always overrated because we're an SEC team. They proved that they were the real deal last year. I don't think you are going to replace Joe Burrow's production, but there's going to be other ways that you could find a way to win games. If they stick to that offensive plan that they did last year, as long as they're recruiting at the level that they're supposed to and bringing in the right personnel, I think LSU will be okay. I look at LSU and Auburn like in the same category. I don't think we're going to get like those years of consistency like we get out of the Ohio States and the Alabamas. It's going to be those two, three-year blips, and then they'll go back down. They come back up for two, three years and go back down. The consistency that Ohio State and Alabama have are just unmatched. I mean, we talk about how great of a run Clemson is on, which they are. They've been on a heck of a run these last, like, five, six years. But if you think about it, Ohio State has been on a run basically since the year, uh, what, 2001? <laughs> like, uh-huh. I mean, and Alabama's been on that same, like, run about that same length of time. So, that is crazy for one, and the hit rate on their recruiting is outstanding. I'm not like the biggest recruiting guy out there, but I do know that the guys that do come into Ohio State, they normally ball out. So that's not just the recruiting the great athletes. That's coaching them up. That's putting them in great positions to show their skills. So not only they're getting good guys, they're coaching those guys up to hit their full potential. And I mean, nothing speaks louder than that than a Damon Arnett who. If you really watch the games, you know his freshman, sophomore, and even junior year, he was not what he became his senior year. So that goes to credit goes to the coaching staff. That credit goes to Damon Arnett for locking in to have a great senior season. And he's a first-round pick. Cash me out. To the Raiders. <laughs> Vegas. There you go. That's a quite the place to cash out. In yes. Down. He's winning. How about another interesting move in the NFL that – 
basically two days in a row, the New Orleans Saints making news. Of course, here locally on Friday night, drafting Adam Troutman, tied in out of the you know from the Dayton Flyers. Uh, but then they signed yesterday morning Jameis Winston, um, free agent quarterback, who was of course released from the Buccaneers. Who you know the ESPN's thirty for thirty, thirty touchdowns, thirty interceptions in one year, and at one point was actually trying to do his best stand-up bit and say that he was interested in 30 mil a year. Uh, I thought that was an interesting <laughs> request on his part, and that ultimately led to him seeing the door. Tom Brady going to Tampa, obviously making that a little bit of an easier choice for the Buccaneers. But the New Orleans Saints signing Jameis Winston, but also, and that was yesterday, but how about today, uh, moving forward with a $21 million deal, including $16 million and a fully guaranteed signing p- bonus for Taysom Hill. you got to be kidding me, bruh. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me, man. So that that's interesting to me that they go that route after getting Jameis yesterday. I thought that getting Jameis yesterday should have been the leverage not to pay Hill to say basically, hey, not only are you two going to battle it out for the backup spot this year, you're basically going to be battling it out for maybe who could be the quarterback post-Drew Brees, who Drew Brees contemplated retirement this year. My thing is, is did the Saints just honestly sign Jameis Winston to potentially be their third-string quarterback? Because there's a good chance that that could happen if Hill beats him out for the second uh, for the second-string spot. That would be crazy if that happened. Um, I don't see that happen. I see it as being a... But Taysom Hill's got $21 million, so how do you make him your third-string quarterback? I mean, I see, but he still gets on the field. Like, he's yeah. their special team guy. He's their gadget guy or whatever. Um, so I see a situation where Jameis is the backup and Taysom Hill is the gadget guy. They bring him in on goal line situations. They use him for wide receiver. They use him in fake punts. It's like... A gadget guy. I know that I think he's going to be like uh, Lamar Jackson 2.0 for some strange reason. But, you know, I like it for Jameis. I like the fact that he goes to a situation where he's not going to have any pressure on him, where he can sit back there and learn a thing or two from Drew Brees and, and Peyton. So that would be awesome for him to sit down, learn, because we all know that Drew Brees is going to get hurt. We all know Drew Brees is going to miss at least two, three games this year. So he's going to get an opportunity to get on the field, and hopefully he can cash out like Teddy Bridgewater did. All right, we thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Hour 1 of the Justin Kinner Show. We now move on to Hour 2 coming up. A lot of NFL draft talk today, uh, fallout from the NFL draft. The Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals both hit home runs over the weekend. Um, but I do believe that they're if we're – Going to praise them. we got to kind of poke holes at what they did over the weekend as well. A couple questionable decisions from the Bengals over the weekend and the Browns that we'll touch on. Earlier today, Adam Troutman joined me on 1410 Wing Live. We were able to show you his reaction, his live reaction to finding out the news that he was going to be drafted by the Saints. You can watch that in the 1410 Wing Live video that I just put up at wingam.com. You can also follow me on Twitter for the video interview between myself and Adam Troutman. If you missed it, don't worry. we got the audio from that coming up for you next as we kick off our to Adam Troutman, Dayton Flyers tight end, drafted by the Saints. We'll hear from him about what it's like going to a franchise that has the likes of a Michael Thomas and a Drew Brees and a Sean Payton. We'll get to that next. Welcome in, everybody. It's the Justin Kinner Show live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410. 
Wing AM. It's your chance to win $1,000. Get out your cell phones, pull out your laptops, head to your desktop, however you access the Internet. Head to wingam.com. It's time for your chance to win $1,000 with our support local business, $1,000 a day giveaway. Head to wingam.com. Click on the support local business, $1,000 a day giveaway cash contest, and enter Milano's. Enter Milano's as our keyword here this hour. Again, all of our, all of our keywords are local businesses here in the Miami Valley. Enter Milano's. Milano's is your keyword here this hour. So enter that at wingam.com. NFL Draft wrapped up this weekend. A lot of NFL Draft reaction talk coming up today. We'll get back to your calls coming up around the corner. Adam Troutman, Dayton Flyers tight end, uh, definitely made a name for himself this year. Had a fantastic senior season with the Dayton Flyers and really impressed uh, at the course at the Senior Bowl uh, and really was able to just with that and his combine workout was able to skyrocket on the draft boards and was projected to go in the second round. He dropped to the third round. However, we still got to hear his name and see him uh, be drafted on Friday night with the New Orleans Saints in the third round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Had him on the show earlier today on 1410 Wing Live, our social media live, Facebook live show that you can access on all of ESPN 1410 Wing AM social media platforms, including my Twitter handle at 1410Kenner. So make sure you're following along for all the extra content that we drop throughout the day. Uh, with that being said, I had a fun conversation with Adam earlier today. We took a look at the video uh, in which he found out that he was being drafted by the Saints. You could see the video in the video uh, interview that we did earlier today, receiving the call from Sean Payton, head coach of the Saints. But how about that? That's quite the team for Adam Troutman to fall into. When you look at that offense, I mean, Michael Thomas, Kevin mentioned, you know, Alvin Kamara earlier. Uh, you know, they, they end up adding more additional pieces this past offseason to give even more weapons to Drew Brees, as this could be his last or last two seasons coming up. Again, tended at retirement this past offseason, announced that he would return for 2020. Adam Troutman, find out what he had to say right here as he joined me earlier today discussing what it was like being drafted by the New Orleans Saints. Here's Adam Troutman. We have Adam Troutman tied into the Dayton Flyers drafted to the New Orleans Saints this past Friday night. Adam, welcome in, man. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, man. I appreciate you taking time and hanging out today. You look back at that, I mean, it's just a few days ago. What were, what were the thoughts rolling through your mind? What were the emotions you were going through as tight end after tight end came coming off the board and you finally get that call from Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, well, definitely uh, a little release came over me. Um, and then, obviously, pure excitement because just the situation that, I'm, that I got drafted into um, with the organization and everything, you know, personally, situation-wise. So I was super, super excited. I mean, obviously, I think people can tell seeing that video. Yeah, and again, just with tight end, the tight end went off the board. I mean, was this kind of what you expected? I mean, you kind of had an idea you'd be going on Friday night, but tight end after tight end kept going. What was going through your mind as far as that's concerned? Yeah, I mean... All those guys are great players and all that. Um, but, yeah, I didn't expect to, to be there that long. And I think a lot of people um, around the league didn't expect you to be there that long. But it uh, doesn't matter now. You know, it's all about where you finish, not where you start. And, uh, like I mentioned, I'm super excited to be in the situation I am in, in New Orleans. Adam Troutman with us here on 1410 Win Live. So you got the call Friday night. You, you talked to Sean Payton. I mean, again, we, we talked just last week on, on, on my show about you know, you're a football fan first. The time you fell in love with the game. How crazy was that to have Sean Payton be giving you a call to let, to let you know that they were going to be picking you? Yeah, no, it was it was pretty crazy. And uh, I guess I didn't really realize it too much, like, in the moment. But, you know, because I would – got the call from them and I saw on the TV like they didn't have a pick uh, yet because they were trading in. So that was more like a, 
like you can see in the video too, like I was kind of like confused at first and I was like, oh my God, like, oh, it's, it's, it's Coach Payton and, you know, Mr. Loomis and Mr. Ireland and all them. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a surreal moment. Michael Thomas, they trade for Emmanuel Sanders. Obviously, you're going to be playing with Drew Brees. I mean, what's going through your head as far as that's concerned? Have you grasped the type of talent you're going to be playing with? Um, I mean, I will once I see it all in person. Um, obviously, you see him on TV, and that offense is already high-powered as, as anyone. Um, and just to go in there and to be able to contribute in the way that, you know, they're going to want me to contribute, I'm super, super excited about it. All right, Adam Chapman with the Camp 1410 Live. If you want to leave a comment for Adam uh, below on Facebook Live, you could do so. Your comments will appear here on the screen. Um, with that being said, what's next for you at this point? As you probably sit here after the call on Friday night, you know there's a lot of question marks out there with the stay-at-home orders being put in place around the country. Are they, have they been in touch with you since Friday? What's communication with the Saints been like since then? Yeah, so obviously I've been doing like all their media stuff and everything, and I've talked to the tight end coach quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're pretty – uh, they're taking this coronavirus thing very seriously, and um, by this weekend they'll have their finalized plans on what we're going to do for our off season. But um, we did a meeting this morning. We're going to do them uh, four times through Thursday this week, um, and then, like I said, yeah, on, on the weekend they're going to um, decide what we're going to do for the rest of the off season. But I'll have one-on-one -on -one meetings with my tight end coach, no matter what, just to install the offense and. Um, you know, send them some clips of me doing certain stuff, my blocking, route running, and we can do right now. Yeah, it's a little frustrating. I mean, I know everyone's going through what you're going through, so you know, it's not a, you know, this is only happening to you type of thing, but I mean, it has to be a little frustrating, you know, not being able to fully engulf what being drafted means as far as being able to hit the ground running with your new teammates. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. Um, like right now, about this time, you know, I'd be going down to New Orleans and getting ready to practice rookie mini camp and OTAs and all that stuff. So it's definitely frustrating to miss, you know, real football. And also not to, like, you're going to meet your teammates on Zoom calls, like, and stuff. That's that's not any, and nobody wants to do that. Like, so um, it is frustrating, but at the same time, you can only, you know, play and you're dealt, so. You said you had your tight ends coach reach out to you. Any of the bigger names on the Saints right now? Have you heard from Drew Brees? Any uh, of, the, of the of the captains on the team right now? Have they reached out to any of the drafted rookies? Uh, yeah, I've talked to I've talked to one of the other rookies, um, linebacker at Wisconsin, Zach Bond. Uh, I talked to one of the tight ends on the team already, and then uh, Drew Brees is going to reach out to me very soon. My tight end coach told me so. Um, just waiting for that and uh, go from there. Uh, you look back at your time at Dayton, did you ever think from the time that you signed with Dayton to where you are at today, did you ever envision when you signed with Coach Chamberlain and the Dayton Flyers that you'd be sitting here right now uh, in the NFL at the New Orleans Saints after the third round? Uh, no. And, uh, <laughs> no, that's just me being uh, completely honest. You know, I know how hard I worked, though, and um, to be in this situation – Am I surprised? Sure, a little bit, but also at the same time, I'm not. You know, I worked super hard for this and to be able to make this a possibility and, a, and reality. Um, but no, I mean, if you would ask me five years ago, ab absolutely not, especially when I was suited up in a green jersey during practice playing quarterback. And we were trying, and I, don't think, I think we're having connection issues, being able to get Luke Chamberlain in on the call with us here. Um, <laughs> video did, we were trying to effort that, and I apologize that that didn't work out. I could see he's trying to get the camera connected. Um, but you know, what, what's your message to him and, and the work that that staff did? Again, not many people look at, you know, and this is no offense to the program, but like the smaller school of Dayton, I can get yeah. to the NFL. 
a success story like yours is huge, and a lot of that has to go to yes, your work ethic, but the job that Coach Tingle and his staff have done for you throughout your careers. Yeah, no, I mean, I tell I've told Coach Chamberlain many times like how appreciative I am, obviously the opportunity he gave me uh, originally coming in to even be a part of this program, and um, you know he's provided me opportunity after opportunity to be uh, great and be at this level, and especially you know just from a human being perspective, you know there's no one more classy than him and um he wants the best for every single one of his players it's amazing like there's a lot of programs you hear about like some coaches don't know the kids names and everything like coach chamberlain knows everything about everyone it's it's truly amazing he really really cares um and you know i wouldn't be in this position if it weren't if it weren't for him and he knows that all right uh, we appreciate adam Trumman taking time and joining us here today on 1410 Wing line. Adam, thank you so much for taking time. I mean, and again, what's the, what's the media short for you? I'm sure you've had nonstop results. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, all the local media in uh, New Orleans, and then obviously, like, I've talked to um, people here in Dayton and back home uh, from my hometown in, in Elk Rapids and Traverse City. So, so yeah, I've been, I've been pretty swamped, but, um, you know, always willing to do it, so. All right, well, Adam, thanks so much for taking time and hanging out with us today. Congratulations, man. I mean, it was so cool. I'm just getting to hear your name, but, I mean, to have Tom Payton come and be interviewed later and just had so much uh, so high praise for you. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we have to get you the way that they did. But we're excited to see you play on Sunday, man. Thank you so much for your time and enjoy the rest of the offseason. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. For those who are saying, my God, that was really annoying, the audio, yes, it was, and I apologize for that. Uh, usually that audio does not come in that bad, but, you know, it is what it is. So thank you for being patient. Uh, but uh, you did get to pull away a lot of really good, interesting takes there from Adam Troutman. But uh, how cool is that? You know, that's the one thing about this, too, is just being able to see his genuine reaction to getting the call from Sean Payton. Uh, and you could see that at wingam.com. Uh, and I also have tweeted that out at 1410Kenner, plus uh, at ESPN Dayton. Uh, use the search ESPN 1410Wing AM to access the station Facebook page as well. So there are plenty of ways that you can access our content, so make sure you're following along on all the 1410ESPN radio social media uh, channels. But yeah, that, like that's the thing too. Like As great of an experience as this is, and Obi Toppin's going to experience this coming up with the Dayton Flyers, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You, go, you achieve everything you do at the college ranks to get drafted. It's just not going to be the same experience as what, you wouldn't be accustomed to experiencing if everything wasn't going on in the world that's going on right now with the coronavirus. Um, you know, right now, if you're Adam Troutman, you get drafted, but you kind of just sit around and wait now. You heard, you know, what's next for him. A lot of meeting his new teammates is not going to be in person or out on the field uh, at rookie minicamp or anything like that. It's all going to be done on Zoom. Um, and you really don't know the next time you're going to be able to see your teammates out on the field prepping. So there's, it's going to be an interesting journey for him. Um, you know, as we get closer to the NBA draft, and we don't know when that's going to be, that's going to be pushed back significantly, especially if the NBA season does tip off. Kev, what do you think about that? That uh, beginning on May 1st, a lot of various practice facilities around the NBA is going to begin opening up so that teams can start resorting and uh, getting back to practice. That's Friday, man. Right around the corner. But it's kind of like what we talked about uh, last week and actually the week before that is uh, the worst thing we can do is reopen and then close. Uh-huh. So I just hope that they have great safety measures in place, not only for the athletes, but for the general public as well. Absolutely. And, of course, a lot of information came out earlier today, a lot of question uh, marks about what businesses uh, can and when will be opened up. Again, this is like a multi-phase process of kind of 
transitioning back into opening up uh, the economy slowly. I know we're a sports talk show. We don't get into too much of that stuff outside of the sports world, or if we do talk about it, we talk about how it impacts impacts us from a sports perspective. Um, but you will begin to hear a little bit, a couple more news updates over the coming days and weeks as we kind of get a better understanding of what opening up the, tr- uh, the economy slowly means, especially for what that means for us here locally. Uh, you know, what businesses will be opened up, you know, as far as restaurants and retail and stuff like that. And I know that those aren't the most important businesses to open up uh, in the eyes of some. But for fat guys like me, I want to know when I can go <laughs> sit down and have a beer and enjoy a nice, you know, plate of wings, man. No, but in all seriousness, we'll try to keep you updated on that. But the thing is, like, and we're going to have the content there, but it's not as if there's a shortage for uh <laughs> There's not a shortage of information out there. It's just being able to dissect it and process it all. Um, We'll try to provide some of that for you here on 1410 Wing AM. All right, so we all need some good distractions. And one of the biggest and best distractions that there has been outside of, of course, the NFL draft over the weekend during these tough times has been the 10-part documentary, uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls dynasty documentary that has really just been the topic of conversation for everybody. There's so many things to pull away from that. Me as a LeBron fan growing up, look, I've watched Michael Jordan growing up, but I was a very young kid. It's not like I was, you know, hanging on every dribble for Michael Jordan uh, the way I have been for for LeBron James. Uh, I've been back and forth me and Kev have had multiple discussions about this, and I thought that the the episodes last night were very telling, uh, that, that there was a lot of things in there that had me thinking and jotting down notes and, and making mental notes about what I wanted to get into here today. And I will say this, when we come back, we'll discuss Michael Jordan is not this Iron Man bulletproof thing that you, Michael Jordan, slurpy guys out there like to make him out to be. Kev, put your eyebrow back down. We'll discuss next. He's not as bulletproof as you think. He's not as bull. To act like he had this bulletproof career that no one can stop him, that's all bogus and it was all BS. And I, last night's episode proved it. And I'm really irritated. How it's any different from LeBron's journey is, is mind boggling to me. We'll discuss when we come back. Yeah. Did you know that three Ohioans are diagnosed with oral cancer every day? Dentists are doctors of dental surgery and can recognize life-threatening conditions and treat oral diseases before they become serious health complications. Ohio Dental Association member dentists are located throughout the state. And back to the Justin Kidder Show, right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. All right, all right, welcome back. It's the Justin Kidder Show live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. The Adam Troutman interview up live on Facebook. Twitter, wingam.com, and more, so make sure you go and check that out. Plus, the Marty Brenneman interview from last Friday. The Marty Brenneman interview has made its rounds, especially after the comments that he made about Trevor Bauer, red starting pitcher, and uh, spoke, you know, Trevor Bauer will be coming on with me on Thursday, so how about that? Wow. In response to Marty Brenneman. Marty Brenneman ruffled a ton of feathers. Folks, if you haven't heard the interview uh, that I had with Marty this past Friday, you're going to want to go and check that out because it's a good interview for one. Yes, I'm tooting my own horn on that, but it was interesting. There's a certain point where I bring up Trevor Bauer's comments regarding broadcasters being a little bit too critical. Who, I mean, that, that doesn't sound like Marty at all, and we all know who that was aimed at, most likely being Marty. But regardless, uh, Marty was not too pleased with those comments, and he had some choice words for Trevor Bauer himself. So you could check the interview out at wingam.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at 1410kinner because uh, it's posted on there as well. You definitely want to go and check that out, but interesting nonetheless. So just keep that in mind moving forward throughout the week. We'll keep you posted as far as that is concerned. All right, so last night and into this morning, I caught up on the Michael Jordan documentary. I didn't get to watch both last night. Um, the Michael Jordan, The Last Dance documentary that's out, and of course, that's all anyone and everyone is talking about. And there's so much to pull away there. You know what I found interesting? 
about all of that is is that like this documentary I keep hearing oh this is great it's a great documentary for basketball it's a great documentary for basketball this and that I actually think it's a horrible documentary for basketball I think that it, it, it's actually hurting basketball. And whenever we uh, come back, I think that we're going to be watching these teams with a little bit more of a negative connotation. Now, some of you out there, I know, based on just on social media reaction, already watched today's game with disdain to begin with um, because you keep saying it's not like basketball of old. And that's always the, the moniker of the older generation who has watched multiple decades of basketball. I've watched two decades, three. I've watched three decades of basketball compared to some out there who's watched 40, 50, and 60. So that's great. But with that being said, this documentary, I will say this. This really isn't a Michael Jordan conversation. This is more of the physicality, or not the, it has nothing to do with the physicality of the sport or anything like that. It's the pure mindset to want to be great and to want to win and to want to play. You have great players in today. And look, I'm not arguing that Kawhi Leonard's not a great basketball player. He is. He's fantastic. He could play. He could have played back then. So could Kevin Durant. So could LeBron James. So could James Harden. So stop with the whole notion of these guys couldn't play back then. Stop it. That's 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 honestly ignorance. Like, if you actually think that these players couldn't play back then, there's there's no help in you. You don't know sports if that's the case. And I'm not saying I know more sports than you because I'm sure there's a lot of things that I don't know. But that's foolish to act like the NBA players of today couldn't play back then. But what I will allow is this, the criticism of off days being worked into contracts currently. The fact that Kawhi Leonard is trying to position himself for 15 off days throughout the year, you want to be paid for an entire season, and you're not even accounting what games you missed for injury or tweaked ankles and whatnot. You want an automatic 15 games that you can rest to begin with? Like, that's laughable to me. That is laughable. Like, and again... Well, I'm watching this, this documentary piece last night, and all I see is nothing but athletes from the elite of the elite to Michael Jordan to the role players on those rosters who will do everything that they can to be out on the floor and to fight and scrap and do whatever they can to win a championship. I'm not saying that players today don't want to win, but they want the easiest route possible. And that I will support. That take I will support a million times over as far as that's concerned. But not because players hop around from team to team, not because of free agency, but it is that, that mindset of that killer instinct. I don't believe there are, no, there are no players in the league that have that killer instinct the way that Michael Jordan did. Uh, that As much as I love LeBron, it irritates me that he doesn't have that killer instinct. He, has, he shows flashes of it, but he doesn't dominate the game with that instinct the way that MJ did. He doesn't practice with it the way that MJ did. It doesn't rub off on other players the way MJ's personality and drive to be great did for players around him. Now, with that being said, I will want to move on to the physicality of this. So when we got to the point of the documentary last night talking about the Detroit Pistons, I can't stand when people... This is my one thing that people always bring up about LeBron that I can't stand. Oh, LeBron James, he couldn't handle the rules that they made for Michael Jordan. You know the... You know the rules that the Pistons made, Kev? You know, the, the famous rules? The Jordan rules. The Jordan rules, yeah. yeah. Folks, can we stop back? Like, do you know why the Jordan rules existed? It's because that great Pistons team, as great as they were, couldn't figure out a way to defensively stop somebody, so they just resorted to, what, just trying to play football? So he said, because we don't know how to play basketball good enough to stop you, we're just going to start playing football. That's lazy. That's stupid. And I can't believe that we actually praised a team from the 90s for putting together these set of rules called the Jordan rules of, we're not good enough to play defense, so we're just going to shoulder check you. Folks, that's weak. 
Like, it's physical, I get that, but man, that's laughable. The fact that fans from the 90s try to use that as an excuse as to why that basketball is better than today's basketball, that's not better than today's basketball. The fact that today's game, because they call the game so tight as far as fouls are concerned, these guys actually have to find a way to defensively stop you and not physically stop you, I'd say that that gives more of an edge to today's players than that from the 90s. Folks, stop with the Jordan rules where these great rules, like it was like some kind of trick that those Pistons, that that Pistons team's found. Oh, we have this secret sauce. There wasn't even the defense. That's not defense. Just knocking someone down for the hell of it's not defense. In fact, that's Bush League, and I have no clue why we overpraise that. It's absolutely embarrassing. So for you basketball fans that like to take credit for the Jordan rules and how that was such a great staple of our day, give me a break. That's laughable. That's, so not, that's not a skill. Knocking someone over is not a skill. That's technically not what the Jordan rules were. That's exactly what they were. It's not yeah, what when he gets in the paint, are. knock his ass down. If he leaves his feet, knock his ass down. Yes, that is part of the Jordan rules, but there's no difference between that and Hackershack. It's a strategy. You don't want him to take flight. You don't want him getting a dunk. You don't want him uh, getting a crazy layup and an and one. If you're going to foul him, make sure you foul him. Make sure he doesn't get the ball up on the rim so he doesn't hit one of these crazy acrobatic shots. Mm -hmm. Keep him on the line. Make him earn it. It was no different from what the Celtics were doing, how later on the New York Knicks played basketball. It was no different. It was just a physical, more physical game back then. And the thing that I take away from it and watching it now, like you think about how they were. There's one clip where I, I actually remember this. In game four, when the Bulls swept the Pistons, Dennis Rodman not only fouled Scottie Pippen, but then pushed him out of bounds. Mm -hmm. And that was just a common foul. Like, that was there was no flagrant, no flagrant two. They didn't even go check the replay. It was just like, oh, yeah, he fouled you. Like, they were getting their money's worth. Yeah. If you're getting a foul, you're going to get fouled. So that's my thing about it. Like, the Jordan rules, whoever you – Excuse me, whoever you want to talk about the best player at the time, they were getting fouled too. Larry Bird was getting fouled like that. The Celtics were fouling teams like that. I mean, you think about when the Celtics played the Lakers, like there was a full on fist fight with Kurt Rambis and Larry Bird. Like they fought. They squared up like Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield. Like that's just not today's basketball. And people need to understand that. People need to understand that that way of basketball is never coming back. It's more palatable today. It's more inviting to the common fan because at that time, the common fan was just a, a guy. Now we have families at these games. You can't have dudes out here throwing bows. You can't have LeBron and Russell Westbrook ready to fight each other. Like That's, that's not entertaining to the masses. So that's part of the reason they outlawed the Jordan rules and slash the situation how the Knicks used to play to make a more free-flowing open game, make it more entertaining. Because, yeah, you want to see your best players play. You don't want to see your best player get hurt. No, I, and trust me, I get that. But you, you can also spin these arguments a million different ways to fit your narrative. For instance, um, you know, as far as like stopping LeBron James in today's game. Well, I'm pretty sure that all those teams that couldn't find a way to stop LeBron James, I'm pretty sure that if they were allowed to just knock the hell out of him and put no defensive skill or fundamental into the game, like that's why I laugh at the at the Jordan rules as if it was just this secret sauce that like they figured out just shoulder checking someone is not defense, folks. Like you could be physical, yes, but like these Jordan rules were just 
ways to bully the best player on the floor into not getting to his comfort zone. Now, we're not talking about, okay, you go out with a high hand, you you know, you split the floor, you make him go left, you make him go right. You know, we're not talking about double teams. We're not talking about these defensive switches. Uh, We're not talking about anything. We're just talking about straight up, hey, when he gets the ball in the paint, just knock him on his ass. That's not fundamental. That's not basketball. That's just Bush League. So I love when guys from the night, oh, LeBron couldn't play in that game today. Well, maybe the people from the 90s couldn't guard LeBron today because if that's the case, then, hey, because you're not allowed to play Bush League rules, you actually might have to actually, you know, play defense and find a way to stop somebody by playing the game and not just trying to be a bunch of bullies out on the floor. So that stuff, that's why I was getting irritated. They try to make it sound like, oh, the Pistons just came up with this magnificent way to stop Michael Jordan. That wasn't a magnificent way. That was, I mean, in, for all the other teams who didn't figure out that you could knock LeBron or Michael on his ass, then they're stupid, too. There's a lot of dumb teams <laughs> in the 90s. The fact that there was only one team that took advantage of the rules to physically knock Michael on his ass, that, that means there was a lot of stupid teams in the 90s, if you ask me. So what is the difference between Bush League and gamesmanship? What do you mean? So when I played sports, if a dude had a hand wrap, you test it out. You see how the hand is feeling. You see, see if it is. If if a dude is going across the middle with, and the scouting report says he got sore ribs, you test the ribs. You see how mm-hmm. sore they are. So what's the difference between gamesmanship and Bush League? The difference is, is well, I'm not going to say take Bush or don't take Bush League and try to present it as gamesmanship. Like that's what I'm saying. I, that's why I have a problem with the the Jordan rules. The Jordan rules don't give it a cute name. Don't because you're a bunch of a holes. Don't give it a cute name. Just admit we weren't defensively good enough to stop him. That's so we not true. That, that is not. That true. is one million percent that true. That is not true. That's I watched it last night. That's exactly that is what they not said. True. We couldn't stop him. He, he we <laughs> so we just physically knocked him on his ass. That that was the, if if he gets to the elbow. Of course, they started with the fundamental stuff. Yes. Of, hey, you want to force him so, out. So you you overlooked that whole part to to push the whole thing that that was bush league. That's part of the game. That's not that's, that is no, part no, no. of the game. That's Being physical is part of the game. Keywords on the air, like four five seven nine four six four. I was infuriated watching that. Like you got to give me a break. Like I'm sorry, they were not good. If you are not like, imagine if today you need a pen. All right. So here's the deal. So imagine if today, if teams today, who everyone says, oh, there's no defense in the game today, like there was in the night. Folks, don't you believe that if the Houston Rockets or the Miami Heat or the Cleveland Cavaliers, the teams today, if they were physically allowed to just knock someone on their ass for the hell of it because they weren't skilled enough to stop them defensively, don't you think that they would? Like they would, but, but that's not defense. That's exactly what the Cavaliers did when they played uh, Golden State. They beat up Steph Curry. Oh, they beat like, him up. Beat him up like the like the Pistons did in the nineties. We just got done saying how you can't do that in today's game. You they they beat him up for today's standards. When he came to land, they hip checked him. What's the difference? It's just because the game has evolved. But you saw the the difference between the physicality in today, and I'm even admitting the physicality in today's game is not there. But they put more of an emphasis on trying to at least play defense a fundamental way. And I'm sorry, but playing they football, did. football they, is not. They did. They, they started no. out. They, they Bill Lambeer, Joe Dumar, Bill Lambeer. Wait, when Michael leaves his feet, knock him on his ass. How was that defense? It, it, it's called if you been. By the way, if so you play part, traditional defense, okay, if you know how to play fundamental defense and you rotate to the right spots at the right time and you take away angles, then you wouldn't have to worry about oh, MJ beat me to this spot. It's called you weren't good at defense. That's what it is. It's lazy defense. If he so leaves the, his feet, so knock him on his part, ass. It's so lazy defense. the whole defense. part where they said keep him up from going baseline. Uh-huh. You you didn't hear that part where they I said heard keep that part, the baseline. But I also so, heard... Yeah, you heard what you wanted to hear. No. I yeah, heard, you heard get, what you wanted to hear. Get down with you. Who do we got on line one? We got Doug on the line. What up, one. Doug? How are you? Hey, 
Hey, how you doing? Another day in paradise. What's up, man? Uh, I just wanted to comment. Uh, I've, I've heard that the same thing with, I think what people mean when they say maybe LeBron couldn't do this in that era, I don't think it's so much that he couldn't do it. It's so much that it would be tougher. Uh, you know, like if if Jordan, when they comparing uh, Jordan and LeBron, they, um, you know, Jordan had to, he, like you said, he got beat, 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 yep. and it takes its toll. And you, and you, there's no way you can be as efficient if you take the beating that he took. So what they're saying is LeBron could probably still play. He's so big, you know, he could still play. But would he be able to be as efficient? taking the same beating that Jordan take that Jordan took and would Jordan be even better if he took the lack of the abuse that he took you know if he had a free reign like these players have now Damn. how much better would he be and you would have to say today's player would probably be somewhat worse because they're not used to getting beat like that well, that's, that's, that's not true. I mean, to sit there and act like we're going to teleport 2020 LeBron James into 96 and say, all right, now play in these rules. Like, if LeBron grew up playing that way, the way MJ did, I mean, to sit there, and if anything, I would argue that LeBron would be better in that physical situation because LeBron is more of a physical specimen than Michael Jordan. So, uh, But your theory is is that we're going to teleport LeBron from 2020 straight into 96 and just be dropped right into the physicality. That would never happen. But if LeBron came up in the 90s and during that physicality, I would argue that his physical build and stature, he could take that on better than MJ or pretty much any other guard during that stretch. Well, I, okay, I agree with, with, the, with the physical part of the game. I, I understand what you're saying, but it's, it, it's, it's still, you have to say, to me, you would have to say that it has to take more of a toll on you, regardless than it does now, the lack of that. If anybody playing today I'm not saying they're not better or whatever, but their productivity would probably go down with the beating that you have to take. That's just kind of like common sense. It's just like it's the same as football. You know, you can't say the stats that the football players put up now, you can't hit the quarterback, you can't knock somebody out going over the middle. You can't say that that don't make a difference. Mm -hmm. It does. And it's the same as the basketball. You're going to tell me that – when you could come over the middle and somebody could just knock your head off its neck, that it, it don't make a difference. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. So I think that's what people are saying. And, you know, you could look at it a lot of different ways, but I always look at it like, like, like what I said. It would have to take somewhat of a toll, and you would have to think that someone would be better that played back in the day if the, if the rules were so uh, pitching towards just letting everybody score the way they score. It's a lot of people scoring like Jordan scores now. And they're not good as Jordan. But it's just so free. Everything no, it's a good point. Now. You talk about you know Michael Jordan averaging thirty four points a game, and then Phil Jackson comes along. They switch up the offense. Thirty seven, thirty seven points a game. Well, it was thirty. <laughs> they dropped from what thirty four to thirty that first year. Yeah. So either way, so he switches to the triangle offense, and it boom just takes thirty. You know, four. So like we're seeing those big jam packed numbers now, like with James Harden and all that's not thirty seven points a game, but we've seen Kobe or and Allen Iverson average high thirties a game over the last two decades at various points. So you know we've seen players get there, um, but I just think. I mean, everyone's always going to say, oh, because Michael played through a more physical era that he's better. I mean, that's 
that's just assuming that these guys couldn't play that. I'm not going to punish them because the game's not physical today. These are all-time great players. I think they could play regardless of the rules out on the floor. Yeah. Now, to I mean, your I, point, I, I think I, MJ, I if he played in a less aggressive NBA, MJ's numbers would probably, I'm not going to say be doubled, but he would probably average another six to seven points per game if he played in a softer NBA than he did in the 90s. That I won't give you. Right, and, and see, that's exactly, what, that's exactly the point that, that I'm trying to bring up. Even though I think everybody's would go down slightly from the beating that you take and the wear and tear, and, and the players back then would slightly go up for lack of lack of that. I mean, you know, you know, like these players are now are needing rest just from playing every day. Like you made comment earlier, just they need rest from playing every day. Let alone taking a beating every day. A beating wears down on you know, like. Like a football team with a big offensive line. Like Ohio State does in the Big Ten, it seems like they wear it out. Somebody can hang with them, hang with them, hang with them. Then eventually their, their physicality takes over in the fourth quarter. Well, physicality you know, or depth? Down. It could be the depth, too. You know, they're, they're well-rested. Yeah, but Hey, Doug, I appreciate the call, okay. man. Thanks for the argument. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. All right, bye-bye. All right, four five seven nine four six four. If you're just tuning in, it's the Justin Kinner Show. We're reacting to last night's uh, parts three and four of the Last Dance Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary, the Dynasty from the '90s. Uh, and, and we got to the point. I've made, I've discussed this in years past. Or I can't stand the Pistons conversation about the '90s. They're a good basketball team, obviously. They've been to multiple NBA uh, finals. You know, won an NBA championship. They were the bad boys. Okay, you know, two NBA championships. You know, the bad boys of the '90s. I get that. Okay, but the the, the this whole moniker. Of the Jordan rules, it just it, it's it's cute, it's adorable. It's not even a set defense. It's not even a set defense. It's not a set defense. It's hey, when he leaves the air, knock him on his ass. That's not defense. That's called hey, you we're not good enough to stop. I'm not overlooking that, it. Yes, you are. No, because, because that's the, that's they the hide law it. No, 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 no. That's the law they hide it in a defensive fundamental approach of hey, we're going to force him to his weak hand. But then after that, it's like, but then everyone come off the bench and it's a 10-on-1 and everyone beat the crap out of Michael Jordan so that he can't get up. And we're going to call that the Jordan rules because we're not good enough to stop him on run. That's crap. That's crap. Defense is better in the 90s. Well, if teams today could just say, hey, you know what? Forget defense. Just shove the hell out of everybody and turn this into hockey. Then you know what? I would say the defense would be pretty good today, too. Defense wasn't better in the 90s. It was just you were allowed to be more physical in the 90s. That's the only difference. It's the only difference. The fact that the Pistons, only way to stop Michael Jordan, which is funny that they have to come up with the Jordan rules to stop Michael Jordan when they were one of the only teams that could stop Michael Jordan. They were stopping Michael Jordan before the Jordan rules came into play. Like, anyways, who do we got next? We got another Doug. Another Doug. Doug, how are you? Welcome in. Hey, uh, hey, guy. I thought the Jordan rule, and when they said last night that when the Jordan rule was, we'll stop him before he leaves the ground. Not Thank you, Doug. There. They said he, no. They said if he stays anywhere in the paint, they knock him on his ass. Yes, they leave yeah, it, if he leaves the air. Yeah, well, you're not going to stop him a thousand percent of the time. Wait, 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 well, you're such a great defense in the nineties. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right. All right. That's what they said. They said they couldn't. They they couldn't stop because they said, hey, when he get up in the air, you you couldn't. They couldn't stop him. But they said the Jordan rules was, you know, when he come in the lane, we make you, you grab him or hit him, punish him before he get up in the air. But the thing is, basketball been like that since the since the 70s. I mean, I, I was taught in high school that you know if you can go for if you gonna foul somebody, foul him before the ball get up yes. in the air. I mean, that's all been. I mean, if you gonna send him to the line, don't get you know. When you look at when you look at these college games now, and they get down, you know, the last second shot, 
and then somebody drive towards the basket, what the defensive player do? They back up off everybody. Well, if they were allowed to shot. play football yeah, like back in your day, then they'd be fine. Wait a minute. I'm not saying you had to tackle nobody. <laughs> but that's the Jordan saying, rules. No, hey, that's, that wasn't the Jordan. I'm just saying if you, pull, <laughs> if, you, if you bring the ball up for a shot, you try to hit the ball. You uh-huh. try to slap the ball down. If you miss the ball and hit the wrist, hey, you went for the ball, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so that's I me. Mean, I, I played. We, you see it in the NBA now. When somebody cut through the lane, coaches used to tell you, you kind of bump them so they won't come through the lane free. Well, my favorite, you know, my favorite is the Andrew Bynum clothesline. Remember, remember JJ Barea. <laughs> remember, it was the, hey, it was the last year hey, of Phil Jackson. JJ right. Barea tried to cut through the lane and he literally right. got shoulder check, is, elbow check. Thing, that was yeah, the thing. Is it would does Detroit play that way? Boston play that way? New York, uh, New York Knicks play that way. The whole damn league played that way. That's a lot right. of unfundamental teams you just listed. <laughs> well, I'm not, no, I'm just. <laughs> Hey, I get what you're is, saying, man. I get what and, you're and, saying. And the thing is, now the better, the good players now could play any time in any in any area of NBA. I mean, I've been watching the NBA since the Boston Celtics was winning with KC Jones hitting bank shots, fundamental mm-hmm. ball. All them players, the good as they were, they can play in the league. But the only thing is, you know, you know, you hear what you hear about LeBron. He can't win a game. He can't win the NBA by himself. You tell me. Which NBA team did win an individual win Thank you. a championship by yep. themselves? They no. always Boston had three, three or four Hall of Famers on their All Star players on the on their team. Philadelphia when they won, they had All Stars on. Them. So ain't nobody one players gonna win a national championship. I mean an NBA championship. Hey, hold on. But see, you got to be careful there because my man Kev over here, he can try telling you LeBron played with Shaquille O'Neal, who's an all star. <laughs> and, you know, he tried to act like Shaquille O'Neal, like in his 80s, well, is the was, same thing was, as in his 20s. But, he but we, we, when he played with Shaquille O'Neal, where was Shaquille O'Neal sitting at on most of the time? He was sitting on the bench. Eating? <laughs> on the end of the bench. Yeah. Now, I, mean, let's, let's, I, mean, I mean, use your eyes. You know, Absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when somebody get 15 years, you know, besides LeBron. Now this kid, I mean he he had a man body coming out of high school, you know, and yep. he, and he stayed in shape, so he could play he could play at any time during that time, you know, but you know but the rules are different, you know, but, you know the you know you know so, you know I look at some of the NBA games, especially when Oklahoma City had all three of those. Had all those three points. Yeah, shooters. you had Russell Westbrook, you had Kevin yeah, Durant. It was a boring game because you know, you know, that's, that's, that was the time when Dave Von Quick uh, Cook was on the team. One thing he did was run to the quarter and hold somebody pass the ball to him so he could shoot a three. You know, I mean, who want to play with somebody that dribble, dribble, and then shoot up a three point? You know. There you I go. Mean, but Doug, but we appreciate the call, man. Thank you for the banner. We appreciate it. All right. Take care, man. Four or five. So we got time for another one. Who we got? We got Steve on the line. Steve, what's up, man? Welcome in. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Yeah. Uh, going over the documentary, but kind of the comparison thing is I, I hate when everyone says that certain players couldn't do something in, or could or couldn't do something in the other era because every era is completely different with, with rules and, and how the game is completely played. And I, I, I hate that comparison of LeBron versus Michael, and you can do that in any sport, in any era. I guarantee you make a documentary about LeBron's, uh, you know, just like the way Michael's, it's gonna, it's not going to look in any way, shape, or form the same. Um, and, you can, and you can take that in any sport 
and I because and that's where I hate the com, the comparison era that um, players could play and, and what it, like I you know Dan Marino has even said it if I had the same rules that I have now I'd I'd throw for X amount of yards and X amount of touchdowns like yes and you can just take that in any sport and I just I I hate the I hate the comparison era because you think about back back in the days of like Wilt Chamberlain I mean how many guys like in my opinion, LeBron and everybody else, he's built like a, a, a tank. I don't remember, I don't recall many guys being that built back in that day. You know, you guys got guys like LeBron and like Zion. I mean, you could say that they would over overpower most of those guys back in the day. That's because guys nowadays are bigger, faster, and stronger. And I don't know if, the, if those guys can play defense against that. Every every area was 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 different, and that's why I hate the comparison. You know. No, that's a great point. I mean, and I think everyone, that's why I told the caller earlier when he said, you know, if you put LeBron in the 90s, you know, he couldn't handle the physicality. I said, well, for teleporting 90s LeBron to all of a sudden playing in a brand new set of rules, would it take him a time to adapt? Yes. But you look at, you mentioned his physical build. His physical build, to be honest with you, I think he would handle the Jordan rules better than Michael Jordan because look at Michael Jordan's build compared to LeBron. LeBron physically can handle that type of play better than most guards could. And that's not a shot at any guard. That's just the reality of it. That's just called he's bigger and stronger and, and can do it. Plus, he's an elite athlete. We're not talking about just some average guard. We're talking about one of the best of the best. But, Steve, we're out of time, man. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Take care, man. 457-9464. We'll pick up with this. We didn't even get into the the brunt of what I was really going with all of that. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. How does it feel to be wrong again? Never wrong. (laughs) We'll be back in a moment. At AutoZone, we're here to help you get what you need. And that won't change. In need of an oil change? Right now you can get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic Motor Oil, an STP Extended Life Oil Filter, and a $15 AutoZone gift card by mail or email, all for just $33.99. And if you need something fast, you can get it fast. Your way, whether it's next day delivery or free same-day pickup, in-store or curbside. The choice is yours. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Restrictions and details on AutoZone.com. You have to be up in five hours, two hours, six minutes. And when you hear, you realize that you haven't slept a wink. That's why there's ZQuil Pure Z's, a drug-free blend of botanicals with an optimal dose of melatonin, so you can fall asleep naturally. To the Justin Kinner Show, right here on ESPN uh, 1410, <laughs> Wing oh, AM. Uh, we welcome you back. It's the Justin Kinner Show live here on 1410 ESPN Radio. We're heading into hour three. We're not done with this. So the Jordan rules has sparked a big old debate here on the show today. And we're going to open the phones back up to you. 457-9464. The Jordan rules. Okay. And these are the Jordan rules as described by former Pistons coach Brendan Malone. And by the way, if it took a team to come up with these rules to stop Michael Jordan, the fact that it took the 90s to come up with how to, to do this, this is fundamental basketball in today's game that every coach teaches every single player today. So the fact that these were special rules that were designed to stop Michael Jordan in the 90s as if this wasn't a part of basketball for decades before, if this was just some newly invented thing in the 90s, then it's no damn wonder Michael Jordan dominated the 90s. And to me, that this is laughable. I, it's, it's stupid. And you're already shaking your head. You're already go shaking ahead, your head. Go no, ahead. No, we gotta get, we, go ahead. Now listen, we're going to start hour three with this. First, okay. I'm going to give people a chance to win $1,000. Okay. You're going to head to wingam.com. 
Okay, you and these are the Kenner rules. Okay, you go to the Kenner rules. You go to wingam.com. You click on contest up at the top. You click win. You click on the support local business thousand dollar a day giveaway. And the keyword, all keywords are local businesses here in the Miami Valley. Enter Frickers. Frickers is this hour's keyword for your chance to win a thousand dollars. So make sure you are again going to wingam.com, logging in, entering Frickers for your chance to win a thousand dollars. So the Jordan rules. These magical rules that were created to stop Michael Jordan as if they were the, it was just the secret potion, the secret sauce that no other team was smart enough to come up with. This is laughable. This is what every high school basketball coach teaches every bare minimum fundamental basketball team in the country today, and yet we act like this was just some secret sauce that no one else was smart enough to come up with. We'll discuss when we come back. Porter on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. Tweet the show at 1410 Kinner or give us a call at 457-9464. We now send you to the Wing Studios in Kettering. Here's your host, Justin Kinner. If you're hanging out with me, I don't know if that's a great start to your week or not. I hope that it is, and uh, we're going to close out this hour. With picking up where we left off, and of course talking about reaction to last night's parts three and four uh, to the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls '90s documentary that's been basically laid out in two hours per weekend, two hours per Sunday night for the next uh, what four, I guess three more weeks, but for five weeks they've been laying these out two hours at a time, two one-hour shows at a time. Uh, and last night's was really good. We got to the points, of course, where the where the Chicago Bulls win their first NBA championship, um, you know, and knock out, you know, finally get past the Detroit Pistons and. And the heated debate that we had before, uh, I think that sometimes we overhype, and again, not overhype, but like we, we take what Michael Jordan was able to accomplish and act like no other player in the history of the world could accomplish what he did during that stretch in regards to, like, for instance, finally beating the Detroit Pistons, okay? Like, first of all, it took the end of the Detroit, it took the Detroit Pistons declining for the Chicago Bulls to finally beat the Detroit Pistons. They were the back-to-back champions of the NBA. Okay, Back-to-back champions. Isaiah Thomas played two more years, or one more year after that. Back-to-back champions. Back-to-back champions, that's fine. And you could say that. I mean, look at the Spurs after they won their championship. That's when they were on the decline of theirs. When they won their championship against the Miami Heat, that's when things started going downhill for them. And that's even with having a Kawhi Leonard to kind of rejuvenate that roster. Isn't that how every dynasty happens? Yes, but you can't can't beat the team on the back half of their success and act like, oh, we we slayed the dragon. We knocked off the kingdom. They They swept the team, yes, that had won the championship two weeks before. Isaiah Thomas played one more season after that. The yeah. Detroit Pistons were no longer the Detroit Pistons after that because everything was done. They had accomplished what they could accomplish. The roster was older. They disbanded and they moved on. You didn't beat the the, the, the mighty Detroit Pistons in their prime. You beat them on the back half. They were the two-time defending NBA yes, champions. Yes, I get that. They were going for a three-peat. They were. I get, I'm not denying that. But that's the, it was the start of the end. Again, that year that they were swept by, that they were beat by the Bulls, they played one more year after that. That was Isaiah's final year. And then the whole thing disbanded. They were all too old at that point. You think they went from great to just, like, old like that? No, it was a gradual decline. It's a gradual decline. Two-time defending NBA champion. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Great. They beat the champ. That's great. Now, let's go on to talk about the great defensive rules that they came up with to stop this mighty Michael Jordan character, shall we? <laughs> Okay, like this is this is this is hilarious. Uh, before you do that, let me say this: this is exactly what I said was going to happen. What? This is exactly what I said was going to happen. Maybe right. Thank the, you the, very no, much. That the Jordan fans were going to double down 
and the LeBron stands were going to double down on their stance. They were going to find a way to say, see, this is why. And just like I am, quote unquote, finding a way to explain why Michael Jordan was so great, it's not bringing people together like, oh, man, this is a great game of basketball. Look how great this player was. It is dividing people even more into their camps. It is not bring this documentary is not bringing people together by, oh, man, this is awesome. This is great. It is bringing people further and further apart that are on the LeBron fence and on the Michael Jordan fence. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I'm watching that last night, and and I'm laughing because, like, I've had this, like, idea of who Michael Jordan was in the 90s as this, like, unstoppable team. And they became an unstoppable team for that stretch, yes. But, like, we act like Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan from the time that he came into the league. How many years, and this is a boring argument, I get it. How many years did it take till he finally won an NBA championship? But, like... We act like he was just this guy that you could win no matter what. Didn't matter who was on his team. Didn't matter who he was playing. That's not the case. The Michael Jordan story was about that, oh, he couldn't win until they finally got Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen. Oh, and they finally beat the Pistons after years and years of not being able to. That doesn't sound like a guy that has just been dominating the league his entire career. That sounds like a he guy did, that he dominated the league as an individual. Oh, how many dominated. players in the league today divide, you know, dominate on the individual I'm, I'm basis? Explain, I'm explaining to you Kevin two, Durant I'm explaining to you two did what, a great what job I live. Dominating I'm the league. explaining to you he two what I saw with my Kevin Durant eyes. dominated the league until he cheated to go to the Warriors for cheated. three NBA championships. Yeah, he took the, the easy free, way out. Free agent, man. Free, free agent. Do what he wanted to do. It's a bum decision. All right, we'll see Michael how many times he wins the rest of the league. Michael way. Jordan dominated the league as a solo act. Like a lot of guys do. James Harden does that today. Got teammates. The team got better. Uh-huh. And then they won championships. Okay. And end of story. Okay. That, that is how like, it went. Like, like the episode yesterday, oh, Scottie Pippen's not playing. Oh, what do we do? Oh, we got to get through this. We got to get Dennis Rodman's head on straight so we can play. Oh, oh we can't play with Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen. LeBron James. That's, that's exactly, the finals with the That's exactly what Cavaliers fans said when Kyrie got hurt in the finals. Uh, in the finals. Yeah. Yes, in the finals. And yet they still were able to win games without Kyrie Irving in the finals. It wasn't, oh, man, we don't have... That's exactly Scottie what... Pippen that, has a migraine. That's exactly what, that is exactly oh, what happened. Scottie Pippen has a migraine, so now we just got to go home and Phil Jackson's first year with the team. Give me a break. Like, to sit here and act... And then, by the way, and like all of LeBron and Michael's failures, he failed a ton before he got to the finals. But we ignore those failures. And that's Who like, ignores that? Because, Who ignores because that? Because the thing is, it's not fair to hold that same mindset Who, about no, no, LeBron. No, no. Who hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who ignores that? Who ignores that? He Every win? single person that no, says, oh, look, at all the, look at all the finals that LeBron lost. Because LeBron's failures came in the finals, although he's won three of them. He's, they failed in the finals. Uh, like, the Golden State Warriors, they were the Detroit Pistons uh, for LeBron James. That was the Detroit Pistons for Michael Jordan. I would say that the Celtics, team, but okay. That, that team that they, who? I would say the Celtics. The Boston Celtics? Yeah. I would say the big three Boston Celtics, whoever it had for him, for LeBron. Okay. I was, I'm just, it's, it's semantics, but continue. But again, Michael Jordan, like, he had his Pippen and those guys against the Pistons. Like, LeBron James' best team in Cleveland when he was going up against those big three was who? He didn't beat him until he got to Miami, and I get that. But it was that same MJ approach. But we said, oh, it was weak. He couldn't beat the Celtics until he went to the Miami Heat. Well, that's the same thing with Michael Jordan. He couldn't beat the big, bad, mighty Pistons until they're on their wheelchairs rolling off the damn floor. The two-time defending NBA champions. The two, yes. That is a fact. Okay, that's, that's not like, an opinion. That like, that's a fact. Oh, okay, that's fantastic. That's, fact. that's awesome. That, that is a fact. I'm not denying. Did, did I say, hey, Kevin? Did, did they win two straight NBA championships? Yes, answering they did. Question yes. that's not being yes, asked they right did. now. They, went, they, lost, they lost to the they lost to the Lakers. Came back and beat the Lakers. Then beat uh, Portland Trailblazers. Then got swept out of the Eastern Conference Finals by the Bulls. This history lesson by Kevin Nash is being brought to you by 
Well, we don't have a sponsor for it, but if you'd like to sponsor, give us a call at 457-9464. So let's talk about those big, bad, mighty Detroit Pistons, shall we? Because I got mad earlier about the fact that we came up with this stupid, cute name about the, the Jordan Rules. The Jordan, I mean, so they, they start breaking down the Jordan Rules last night, and I'm dying laughing. I'm dying laughing. I'm like, so it took the Pistons to come up with these... Basically, the, these fundamental rules that I thought have always existed in basketball, but apparently it took a team in the 90s to come up with these fundamental rules. So if, if these teams in basketball in the 90s didn't understand to implement these fundamental rules, it's no damn wonder Michael Jordan dominated in the 90s because it took a simple team like the Pistons to come up with these rules. And I don't mean simple. They're really good. They won multiple championships. I'm not going to sit there and downgrade them from that, but I'm not going to give them credit for coming up with these Jordan rules, which should just be fundamental defensive practices that every team, and even today's at the lowest of levels about basketball teaches their their kids it's amazing to me so let's start with rule number one shall we these are the jordan rules these are the rules that have never been heard of before until the 90s these are the rules that that i mean there was apparently a lot of really intelligent basketball folk back in the 90s but they could not come up with these rules until the detroit pistons came up with these rule number one rule number one on the wings push them to the elbow don't let them drive baseline great Fantastic. That's called a scouting report. That's not some big fundamental rule. You mean it took how many years in the league for a team to figure out, don't let him drive baseline? You mean to tell me, I mean, it took a team that long, Kev, to figure out, don't let oh. him? Don't, don't let Michael Jordan. I was going to let you, I was going to let you oh, finish you all the rules before, okay, before, okay, I, okay. before okay. I rebuttal. All right, so the Jordan rules. It took MJ how many years in the league before they came up with these cute little set of rules that most people just call a general scouting report today, but only the Pistons knew these rules. They get credit for basically trademarking these rules that I thought every team was practicing anyways, but apparently not. And if teams were not implementing ways to stop Michael Jordan, it's no damn wonder he became the best player in the league because no one was smart enough to come up with a way to stop him. So these big, great Jordan rules, that's what everyone plays with today. So, yeah, no wonder Michael Jordan dominated the 90s. So rule number one, on the wings, push him to the elbow. Don't let him drive baseline. Fantastic. Awesome. This is great stuff. Rule number two. When he's on top, influence him to his left. Wow. So you mean there's a, there's, so there's a right hand and a left hand. And there's always that off hand that they, of course, are not as strong as far as ball handling is concerned. So you mean to tell me that the great Pistons knowledge came together and said, we're going to force him to his weak side. Oh, this is good stuff. Detroit Pistons 101, baby. The Jordan rules. No one has ever figured out that you should take a player and force him to his weak hand. Wow. The Detroit Pistons. What a time to be alive. What a time to learn the game of basketball. This is great stuff. So that's rule number two. And rule number three. When he got the ball in the low post, this is great. Trap him. (laughs) So you're going to double team him? Of course. You mean to tell me no other team was smart enough to come up with, force him to his weak hand, don't let him drive baseline, and my favorite, double team him? Those are the Jordan rules? That's just common sense of how to stop good players. Or not. By the way, you don't stop. Even to this day, you don't stop a LeBron James. You didn't stop a Kobe Bryant. You don't stop an Allen Iverson. You don't stop a James Harden, a Kevin Durant. The list goes on and on. You don't stop these players. But these are rules that are put into place. These are defensive fundamentals that I thought had been around for well, a lot sooner than 90s. Uh, and it's amazing to me that th- they're getting credit for this. And then the cherry on the top. So you got your ice cream sundae. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. You got the sprinkles. You got the whipped cream. You got the excellent fudge just dripping down the sides. But the cherry on top. I love your uh, the food cherry. Analogies. I'm hungry, man. It's five, <laughs> what, ten, five, twelve. The cherry on top, ladies and gentlemen, of course, of the Jordan Rules ice cream sundae is this: if he gets in the paint. Knock him down to the ground. <laughs> so you end all of these beautiful fundamental practices of basketball, of defense on basketball, and you end it with if he gets if he you know if he gets in the paint because we weren't good enough to stop him, just knock him down. 
That's lazy defense. Hey, if we can't stop them, just knock them down. That, this is stupid. This list is dumb. The fact that they, the Pistons get so much attention for the Jordan rules, this is called, go to a practice today. Go to a middle school practice today. I guarantee you, this stuff is just fundamental defense. Like, duh, high hand, force him to do as we can. Hey, if he's really good, he gets the ball on the block, we'll send a double team down to him. I mean, come on. Like, this isn't like secret sauce. This is like this is like you. T- this is like for you people out there. Uh, you know, when you, when you have moms that are really good cooks, and they tell your whole family how it's the secret sauce, but really they go buy Prego from Walmart. Like that's <laughs> what this is. This is the Pistons try fooling everyone in basketball, saying we came up with these imagine these are homemade rules, and really they had they've just been giving you Prego sauce from Walmart. That's all. That's all. This is ridiculous. And then to sit there and take credit for knocking him on the ground, that's not defense. Because you weren't good enough to find a way to stop Michael Jordan. You just knocked him on his ass, and now you're going to take credit like that's some great defensive philosophy. That's lazy. That's lazy. All right. You've been patient. What say you? Because I made great points. You can't counter those points. Four, five, seven, nine, four, six, four. There's no one out there that will counter those points with good points in return. It took the 90s to come up with this. Force a guy to his weak hand? Really? They took the Pistons to come up with that? No wonder Michael Jordan dominated the league. No one was smart enough to force him to his weak hand? Come on! Anybody that watched basketball during that era already knows this, but I'll tell you because you didn't. One, every NBA team was running that same are defense. You pulling the, are you pulling the, no, uh, no. the old guy card? Of, no. Is it, I know because I watch. <laughs> it's, it's a simple fact that they ran that. All, every NBA team that played against the Bulls in that time ran that quote-unquote defense. It's, t- it's about being able to execute that defense. Just like everybody like, oh, man, we want to run our organization like the Patriots. Not everybody can execute that. Not every team in the NBA could execute it the way the Pistons did because they had great defensive players like a Rick Mahorn, like a, a Dennis Rodman, like a John Sally, and like a Joe Dumars. They could execute it better than everybody else. It got the moniker to Jordan Rules because of a Chicago writer who came up with a name to sell a book. And just like everything else in the world, something becomes monetized, it gets this name on it. Just like they got the name The Bad Boys, it got monetized, and they sold T-shirts. It became a story. Sports is a story. Sports brings headlines. Sports brings eyeballs to the TV. You have an easier product to sell when you say, look at these rules that they came up for the novice fan, not for the sports aficionado that Justin Kenner is, but for the novice that just... It's, dropped, a, it's a tough part of what we live <laughs> for up the, to, man. For the novice that just comes in for the NBA All-Star Weekend, for the playoffs, for the NBA Finals, like, oh, man, they, they came up with special rules to stop MJ. That's how good he is. That's for the novice fan. For the people that actually watch the game, know that every single team in the league played that same style of defense on Michael Jordan. They just were better at it. They weren't so, better at it? They were better at it because they beat them. Well, because Michael Jordan's teams weren't as good as everyone gave him credit for. Until no, no, no. Scottie Pippen it. and Phil Jackson. And then, just like every great team does, they win when they have great players. And the thing about LeBron James' teams is they win when they did not have great players. And that's the difference right there. Now, this time last week, you conceded that Michael Jordan was better than LeBron. So now, after this one, you flip no, back? I'm not flip-flopping anything. I said that the impact that Michael Jordan had on the game, LeBron doesn't come anywhere close to it. But when you want to talk about, like I'm like last night's documentary was nothing but all the the failures of Michael Jordan, and I'm like, this isn't the Michael Jordan that everyone talks about. Like, look at all these, ta- like look at all these roadblocks. Look at all these things that he was not good enough to get his team past. He couldn't get his team past the Scottie Pippen migraine, which he had. Scottie Pippen, by the way, that's amazing to me. Like we act as if Michael Jordan just like he only played six seasons and he won the 
championship in every season that he played. That is not the case. Who that says is not that? The case. That's any person that ever tries to that argue with you. No, but I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just giving out my opinion. And I'm what telling you, you right now. You're saying it to everybody. Damn right I'm telling it to everybody. everybody. No, that's not true. If, if, if you're a true Michael Jordan fan and you truly watched the basketball games back then, you know that. He had roadblocks. You know that they made the playoffs as a losing team. And he put on a show against the Celtics, but the Celtics were so deep that they couldn't beat the Celtics. You know that they lost to the Cavs. You know that he hit the shot on the Cavs. You know that they had roadblocks with the Knicks. You know that they lost to the Pistons. And then eventually they got over the hump. Four, five, seven, nine, four. I dropped my phone. Six four. Uh four five seven nine four six four taking your calls now. Uh and again. And I laugh too. Like say what you want. I mean, I know in that documentary too they talk a lot about the uh you know, about the front office of the Chicago Bulls and about you know the horrible decisions that were being made and everything. Like the thing when you talk about Kraus is it's one of those things where yeah, he's responsible for why it was tore down, but he's also responsible for why it was put together. And uh, you can argue that outside of, I mean, when you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers where LeBron has spent the majority of his career with the front office and the front office decision making has been literally embarrassing compared to what Michael Jordan had in Chicago and people are going to focus on the bad decision making that led to the disbandment of the Chicago Bulls but keep in mind the same players that Krauss didn't retain were the same players that he brought in so I'm not defending him and saying that he did a great job but he did a good job of putting the dynasty the two time you know both dynasties together from you know from the bottom up anyways Having the guts to make those decisions, going out and being aggressive, you know, bringing in legit coaches, bringing in legit players. LeBron didn't have that front office support. Now, you could also blame LeBron and say, well, they also had a front office that maybe gave LeBron too much credit and could be responsible for a lot. But LeBron didn't get that power until that second go-round with Cleveland, which they didn't get a championship out of. But you think LeBron wanted 85-year-old Shaquille O'Neal? You think he wanted... A was it what an Antoine Jameson that was past his prime? You think that he wanted the second best player on an NBA Finals appearance against the Spurs to be Zadrunas Ogauskas? No, I, I don't think that that's what you know. That's not the same. To act like LeBron and MJ had the same you know career path is just ludicrous. It's it's not that at all. Who do we got? We got Mike from Zinio on the line. Mike and Zinio, what's up, man? Welcome. Hey, oh, okay. Where where I really have this, you know, that first run they made of the three P. Uh-huh. The only other. Hall of Famer, all-star on that team was Scottie Pippen. LeBron James has had all-stars on every team that he's ever been on. And when he was in Miami... Name those all-stars, please. Um, Mo, uh, whatever. If you're bringing a Mo Williams to this conversation... Was he an all-star? That's embarrassing to bring Mo Williams to this conversation. Was he an all-star? Yeah, but a lot of people... I mean, I don't... But I'm not a big fan of all-stars. Well, he was an all-star. It's a popularity contest. Well, Okay. So that first run that the Bulls made, we're talking Scottie Pippen being the only other name that that was ever probably an all-star on those teams. Uh, that first run that they made with those three. In Miami, LeBron had two Hall of Famers with him and won one championship. Two Hall of Famers. He kind of won two championship. championships. He won two. In Miami? Yeah. Yeah, they beat OKC and then they beat the Spurs the following year. Okay. Um and then in Cleveland, he had Kyrie Irving, if he doesn't get hurt, is a Hall of Famer. And Kevin Love, if he doesn't play with LeBron James, is a Hall of Famer. Because if he stays in Minnesota, he's averaging 26 points, 14 rebounds a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if you look at LeBron, he makes players worse, not better. Typically what's happened with him. Where you look at the runs that Jordan made, especially that first the, the first run with Horace Grant and B.J. Armstrong and John Paxson, 
those guys aren't Hall of Famers by any stretch of the imagination. So hold up, so, yeah. hold on, talk about. You think Michael Jordan takes a team with Mo, Mo Williams, Booby Gibson, Drew Gooden, and Zajunis Ogaskas? You think that he takes them to the finals? Uh, in this era, of the NBA for sure. Oh, that's a that's a cop out. We yeah. could play that game all day, and you know we could play that game all day. That's a cop out. He does not take them to the finals. So you think LeBron is that much better than Michael Jordan? But listen, you're trying to bring what Michael accomplished to the table, and I'm bringing what LeBron accomplished to the table, and you're trying to negate what LeBron did by saying Michael could do it, but then trying to say LeBron couldn't do what Michael did. So, look, bottom line is is that LeBron has taken more scrub teams to the finals and won more games in the finals with scrub teams than MJ. MJ couldn't even... scrub team to the finals. No, we don't want to talk about that that first run with the Cavs whenever there was no Kyrie and no Kevin Love, and the second best player was Matthew Dell of Adova. Look, but those players were on the team when they made it to the finals, though. Yeah. Okay. So they it wasn't like he that was but, a solo. Then, but act. again, but what guys like in in Mike, I'm not saying this aggressively here, but guys like Mike will say, oh well, LeBron lost in the finals. Well, that's there's right there why he loses in the finals when his two best players are hurt. And you saw last night that MJ couldn't win when Scottie Pippen had a little migraine. They lost one game, game seven of that year, uh, with no other Who? players at all on that team. Who? I'm sorry. The Bulls lost the game the seven Bulls to the Pistons. The Bulls lost game seven uh-huh. to the Pistons with the migraine game that you're talking about. Yeah. When they weren't even, they didn't have home court. That was not just a game. That was a game seven when the Pistons had the best record in the NBA, and they were playing in Detroit that last game. It wasn't like defending that was a home too. game that they blew. That they blew. So uh, defending champs, two-time champs, uh, you know, back-to-back. So... I think you're under underrating how good Detroit was, and you're overrating uh, how how bad the teams were that that LeBron. Well, was. most people the that grew up in the '90s bad, will say that. Yeah, the only bad team that he took to the finals was that first team in Cleveland. That's the only bad team he took to the finals. Every other team he had was stacked, and you cannot stacked. You mean with uh, Tristan Thompson being the second best player in the last finals that they were at? No, he, that, what do you mean? The, the second, they, that team had Kyrie Irving. And, no, uh, talk about the last five. They, they made it to the finals what, without Kyrie Irving the next year, the next two years without Kyrie Irving. Kyrie won the championship the first two years. LeBron was in Cleveland a stretch of four years. All right, They got the first year back-to-back finals that they went with Kyrie. They lost that one because Kyrie was out. They won the second one. That was that dramatic you know, seven-game series right. that they won back in Golden State. And then Kyrie leaves. Mm-mm. What? Am Kyrie I wrong was on that? there. Kyrie was there for three years. Kyrie was, was there. it three? Yes. It was the it last was year. Because the last year, uh, what you call it? That's right, because that's when Kevin Durant, That's the first. Start, that was the start to the Kevin Durant year. Yes. Okay. Yeah, all right. So that was the only, the only scrub team that LeBron ever took to the finals was that first year in Cleveland. Every other year he had at least Two, all, two yeah, but we all make all. but we make excuses for why Michael Jordan couldn't get to the finals because of how good the Pistons were. But then Mike or LeBron runs into his Pistons caliber team in the finals, and we hold that against him. Like we're not talking about just a really good Pistons team that Mike that LeBron goes up against. We're talking about a team that had already won seventy games without Kevin Durant, and then Kevin Durant comes into the fold, and it's like it was just stupid uh, how good that team was, especially when you add Kevin Durant into the seventy win plus team from the year before. Uh, I, like I said, I, I am a Jordan homer. I'm not going to admit that I'm not. But to say that LeBron took a bunch of bad teams to the NBA Finals is ludicrous. He took one bad team to the NBA Finals. And every other team, he, they underperformed considerably considering the talent that he had, especially in Miami. That, that, they underperformed. You know, what happened to five, six, seven championships in a row? Hey, that's his fault for saying that, but they got to the finals every year. They sh- and, you know, it is what it is at that point, but they, he still has three championships. He won two of the four that he was in Miami. Comes back, wins one in Cleveland. well on his way to possibly winning one with the Lakers. So he'll win a, won a title with three different teams, most likely? Oh, okay. And over how many years 
You know, I mean, we, we oh. you can talk about any of that. Well, if, so. if MJ is just so durable and can play in the physical 90s, I mean, he should have been able to play a lot longer than he did. The physical 90s? Exactly. LeBron, <laughs> none of these guys would have lasted. In, Look at LeBron's guys. a tank, man. He's a freaking horse. He would have survived, man. He would have been just fine. Uh, well, we'll see. He would have done a lot of passing. Like Magic. He would have been Magic Johnson back then. <laughs> you can't compare errors. I know, man. Because, <laughs> because of how it is. But all I'm saying is, is a completely different game. But to say that LeBron took it. Uh, my only exception is to say LeBron took a bunch of scrub teams to the finals is ludicrous. He took one bad team to the finals, which was that first Celtics team or that first Cavs team. And, and you know, I, I, the one thing, let me say this about LeBron compared to Michael Jordan. I've seen LeBron give up. At the end of games, when they had either had no shot or he looked disinterested, like his team wasn't there, that's not anything you would have ever seen from Michael Jordan. Ever, ever, ever. Well, I mean, he did quit two times in his career and came back twice. <laughs> Mike, I love you, man. I got to go. I got to get this commercial. <laughs> Take care, Mike. You are terrible, bro. <laughs> That was murdered, oh, man. No, Michael never quit. He quit twice. He, he came back from retirement twice. He retired. Huh? He retired. Mm -hmm. You bet on it. All right. We'll <laughs> All right. You bet he did. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Capital One knows life doesn't alert you about your credit card. Ned, stop, Graham Street. And Brian in the khaki shorts. Your free child of Movie Plus ends tomorrow, so you may be charged. Want to continue or cancel? Stand clear of the closing doors. So, meet Eno, Capital One's assistant. Eno looks out for charges that might surprise you and helps you fix them. Eno. Another way Capital One is watching out for your money when you're not. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Limitations apply. Pros, Lowe's wants to help you keep working. That's why we're open for pro business hours 6 to 7 a.m. Monday through Saturday. You'll find the quantities you expect with dedicated pro associates and loaders to help you get what you need fast and load you up curbside. Now, more than ever, we know you need to win. Justin Kidder Show, right here on ESPN Date, 1410 Wing AM. So Ohio State had 10 players drafted over the weekend in the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. You also had that team up north. You look at what they were able to somehow pump into the league. How uh, interesting stuff there as far as that's concerned when you look at the at the breakdown. How about the ratings? I think a caller was Ed, one of our callers last week, mm -hmm. asked what we thought that the ratings would be. Um, and they were record ratings as we thought. Uh, I think it's one of those where I'm not going to put a whole lot into the ratings of anything that's going on right now, mainly because everything has been so altered from what the normal day-to-day life is but then again you can also argue that you know for the time being this is the current day-to-day -day life uh, but the NFL draft if things are back to whatever normal could be a year from now I wouldn't expect these record high numbers and as far as ratings are concerned because I think the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were going to be filling up the streets of Vegas for the draft this year were also at home watching so there's you know what I mean there's that impact as far as that's concerned but how about this the top 10 markets for all rounds combined to the NFL draft Columbus, Ohio comes in at number one, Cleveland number two, and Cincinnati at number five. Not surprising at all. So there you go. Come on, Dayton, where the hell you at, man? <laughs> no. Uh, so Columbus, Cleveland, one and two. You have Philly, Kansas City, and the Cincinnati, and the Cincinnati market at number five. So three of the top five markets as far as, uh, you know, for NFL draft ratings all here in the state of Ohio. Not bad. Uh, not bad at all. But how about the LSU Tigers? We talked about Ohio State pumping in 10 players into the NFL draft this uh, this season. Michigan also spitting in 10 as well. Uh, but LSU, 14. 
14 LSU Tigers drafted um, over the weekend. Not bad. I think the Cleveland Browns were responsible for 13 of them, if I'm not mistaken. SEC. I think. Yeah, SEC. <laughs> the Cleveland Tigers. Go Tigers. SEC. Uh, but you got Michigan, Ohio State, both with ten, and it kind of broke down, you know, right here. Every, you know, how many players each of these teams, you know, or how many, you know, players from each team was pumped into the league. Alabama put nine in. You look at Utah, Georgia, Florida, and Clemson. All of those teams had seven players from each school pumped drafted over the weekend. Notre Dame and Auburn had six players drafted, not combined, but both schools with six each. Iowa, Minnesota, TCU, Penn State, and Mississippi State had five players drafted. Again, that's five per team. You have Baylor, Oklahoma, Miami, Temple, South Carolina, Oregon, and Wisconsin had four players drafted over the weekend. And, and again, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But the Dayton Flyers pumped in a player Yes, sir. as well. You see them down at the bottom on this graphic here. Interesting enough, Adam Troutman drafted uh, third round with Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints. Uh, we had Adam Troutman on the show earlier today. So make sure you go and check that out at wingam.com. But interesting stuff right there. But keep in mind that the SEC, speaking of the SEC, SEC, SEC. Uh, the SEC has now had the most draft picks in the following drafts in a row. 14. Whew. Going back to 2007, all the way up to this most current draft this past weekend, the SEC has had the most draft picks come out of that conference. You know, folks, that conference that you guys waste my time with every fall, chanting that about the SEC bias. I think the conference that spits in the most pro players has the best talent is obviously the conference that has the most talent. Look, I don't need to explain it to you. I think deep down you understand it, you get it. It's just easier to be a homer. So there's that. <laughs> the Big Ten, is, is, it's, a, it's not a bad conference. It's just the SEC is just better. This, I mean, 14 straight years? Of having the most players in that conference go be drafted pro. Unbelievable. 2007 to 2020. Not bad. Uh, not bad at all when you start looking uh, at what was accomplished over the weekend. But that's that's pretty impressive. Another news and note here, just the different bullet points about the draft that I had kind of jotted down. Six of the Bengals. And here's the problem that I have with what the Bengals did over the weekend. i got to stay true to my character, man. Okay, I can't be Uh-oh. too nice about the Bengals. No, go. by the way, and if you missed it in the first hour, I'm not bashing the Bengals here. I think that they hit their draft. Uh, for as much as I criticize the Bengals' drafting ability, Duke Tobin and that front office for the Bengals is questionable as they have been in their decision-making in recent NFL. NFL drafts, um, although there are some question marks I have about this draft. If I'm questioning decisions being made late in a draft, you know what? That, that's stupid. That's a waste of everyone's time. Uh, but I thought that they hit a home run in the first and second round. And look, we knew what they were going to do in the first round. Um, you know, there were some people out there just, you know, man, are they going to be baited at all by the Dolphins? The Dolphins have three number one picks. Is that, you know, could they lure that number one pick away from Cincinnati? They stuck to their guns. They draft Joe Burrow, number one overall pick of the 2020 draft. And look, now we're officially off and rolling. We know who the Bengals quarterback is. The AFC North is stacked. Three of the four quarterbacks in the NFL or in the AFC North have all been Heisman champions. I mean, that's pretty dang, uh, that's pretty impressive uh, when you look at the uh, winning pedigrees that three of the four come from. And then, of course, the other quarterback that has not won a Heisman, he's only a two-time Super Bowl champion. So I'd say the AFC North is pretty good at quarterback as far as that's good. Oh, yeah, and the, don't forget about the MVP in, in Baltimore. And don't forget about the bum quarterback for the Browns from last year. But the year before, though, he did break <laughs> and tie Peyton, or he broke Peyton Manning's, you know, rookie season total touchdown record. So that that's pretty impressive as well. But the Bengals knocked out of the park. The T. Higgins deal, I love it. T. Higgins drafting him with the first pick in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft. T. Higgins addresses a lot of needs for the Brown or for the for the Bengals that I mentioned earlier. 
I think that what it does is it puts the Bengals in position to add another big-time playmaker for Joe Burrow moving forward. You bring in Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. You have them for four years moving forward. What that also does is it takes T. Higgins and throws him into the mix with A.J. Green and with Tyler Boyd and, of course, your running game with Joe Mixon. Now, you look at A.J. Green, a lot of question marks there. This is an individual that has missed 23 of his last 24 games. Will that trend continue? We don't know. He was healthy last offseason, of course, until you got into the first practice of the preseason when the big, bad, horrible Welcome Stadium, which, by the way, you know, Adam Troutman seemed to do just fine on, at Welcome Stadium, sensitive A.J. Green trying to act like, oh, he you just, it's not it. even safe. It's all used to it. Give me a break. Give me a break. Not even That's safe. That's call it home them. field advantage. Yeah, whatever. What, home field advantage. Well, there's no one's home field. It's supposed to be the Bengals' home field, technically, for at least that afternoon. But with that being said, <laughs> A.J. Green's a big question mark. I think that he's one of those where I think if you're a Bengals fan, you have to move forward thinking that the only core offense you have is Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon. And anything you get from A.J. Green moving forward is just bonus. And I think that if you train yourself to have that mentality, I think you'll be really happy come the fall. Because if come the fall... A.J. Green is not healthy. It's okay because you've mentally prepared yourself that, hey, this is a cat that's missed 23 of the last 24 games. We drafted T. Higgins, who, you know, who had basically, I mean, he was a first-round talent. Should have gone in the first round, but there was just so many receivers and so many you know, offensive linemen. There was a lot of really, there was a lot of depth at a lot of very key positions in that first round, and you were going to see a lot of talent drop back. You saw the likes of you know, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins drop back. You saw a lot of talented individuals you know, fall into that second round. Um, so there's that. But like I said, if A.J. Green's healthy and you have a full roster moving forward that includes A.J. Green, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, good for the Bengals and good for you Bengals fans. That's pretty impressive, if you ask me. T. Higgins also, and like I said, if the A.J. Green thing does not work out, T. Higgins might have might be that replacement for A.J. Green moving forward. So he's either the replacement of A.J. Green moving forward or he's the new member of the Tag Team Champions right there. That, that's an excellent combination. T. Higgins and A.J. Green. I think that the Bengals are very fortunate right there in what they were able to land. Now here's where I have to be a little critical. I don't care what anybody says. I saw Dan Hoard tweet this out over the weekend. He said that six of the Bengals' seven draft picks were captains of their college team. The only captains they didn't select were Hook, Kangaroo, Morgan, Crunch, and ha ha ha. Get it? The joke. Captain Crunch. Yeah. Hilarious. Cute. I like Dan. I'm not making fun of him. I just thought the tweet was kind of funny. Anyways, with that being said, seven, you know, six of the Bengals' seven draft picks were all captains from their college team. This goes and speaks to what Zach Taylor is trying to do as far as, you know, building the culture in Cincinnati. And I think that's good. It's kind of like when we talk about drafting Buckeyes. You want to draft guys from Alabama, from Ohio State. You know, there's a reason that you see a lot of talent be drafted from the SEC. Teams are trying to draft from winners. Okay? So don't get mad, Big Ten fans. I'm including Buckeyes in the winner category. If they were, they're right up there with the SEC, you know, teams. It is what it is. Um, but I get what the Bengals are trying to do, but here's the problem. When Joe Burrow gets laid on his ass 85 times next season, are you going to be waving the, yeah, but look at all the captains on our team? No, you're not. So I appreciate what they're doing here, and I get that there's a certain type of guy that they're going after, but when you have so many holes to fill, I don't think that you have time to, to basically be as stingy as what they were. The fact that you took three linebackers, the fact that you only took one offensive lineman late in the draft, and let's be honest, anything that you pick late in the draft, it's most likely not going to be on your roster come week one. So I just think that it was very foolish of the, of the Bengals to not address the offensive line. And I think it's very dangerous of the Cincinnati Bengals to assume that last year's cast of guys is just all of a sudden 
going to be better. I mean, here's what your offensive line is going to potentially look like next year. And Bengals fans, you could tell me how you feel about it. Xavier Suafilo. I mean, if I mispronounce his name, so be it. I'm just throwing it out there already. But at left tackle, you're going to have Jonah Williams. At right tackle, Fred Johnson, right? Like, I, I mean, who are you going to put there? I mean, I know they just drafted. You know, we'll get into this. But Fred Johnson at right tackle, Jonah Williams left tackle, Xavier Suafilo at right guard, and at left guard you have Michael Jordan, and it's not the last dance. I mean, it, it, I think yeah, if you're going to compare Michael Jordan to Michael Jordan, you're getting the Wizards' Michael Jordan there at left guard. Uh, and then, of course, at center, Trey Hopkins. Now, Trey Hopkins was actually kind of a nice, pleasant surprise as the season went on last year. Um, but my, my point is this is you finally get your guy in Joe Burrow. How long is it? T- I mean, look, Carson Palmer, that was the guy. When you got him, that was your number one overall pick. You were, uh, I mean, that was you were on cloud nine. But make notes of why he left. All right? Injuries, you know, it, that's how his kind of little tail ended. Uh, but he wanted more pieces. It was a good roster put around him. I get why people get frustrated with Carson Palmer, but he always wanted more. But as far as Andy Dalton's concerned, you put a winning franchise together with him. You made five straight playoffs. You won a lot of games. But there were limitations. There was a ceiling with Andy Dalton, and I think he reached that. And uh, this team wasn't, you know, they weren't disciplined enough to be able to make up for that deficiency with Andy Dalton. So being as that is said, you look at Joe Burrow coming into Cincinnati. You need to do everything that you can to protect him. Absolutely everything that you can to protect him. And when you finally get your guy, I think it's ludicrous if you think that Fred Johnson, Suofilo, Trey Hopkins, Michael Jordan, and Jonah Williams, if you think that that's what he deserves, that that's kind of dangerous. That's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. I love what they did in free agency. I love what they did with the T. Higgins draft pickup. You know, they did address address linebacker, and that's a need, too. But I would rather have the weakest part of the Bengals in 2020 on a team that's projected to be last in the division anyways. I would rather their biggest weakness be at linebacker than at offensive line. Because if you're bad at defense and bad at linebacker, you're at least not taking years off of the career of Joe Burrow. If you're bad at offensive line again and your quarterback, your new star quarterback, is getting beat up all over the field, you risk becoming the Indianapolis Colts and Andrew Luck. And that's all I got to say. There's nothing you are going to say that is going to convince me that the Bengals made the right decision not going after the offensive line this offseason. You spent $150 million. You have a lot of really good draft picks, and you don't address that offensive line. And I'm so sick of hearing, oh, but you have Jordan Williams from last year. That's basically like an additional first-round pick. No, it's not. Because he's just as much of a question mark as anybody else in that offensive line. Who, you mean Jonah Williams to go along with all the other A-plus draft picks that you had in last year's draft? How are we supposed to know if this is going to work out? So I don't trust Jonah Williams. I don't trust this offensive line. And if this was just Andy Dalton that you're bringing back this year, you know what? I have no problem with you rolling that out and putting all the money in the defense. But when you have your number one franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow and you choose to roll the dice for that, that is not a... That is not a that's not a gamble you take if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm disappointed in them from that perspective. I'm critical of that, but I want to bookend it with this for those just tuning in saying, oh, here he goes bashing the Bengals again. I love who they drafted. I just think it was dangerous to not address the offensive line. I think that you're risking too much taking this offensive line into 2020 when you finally got your franchise guy in Joe Burrow. Fair, very fair. Um, I do have a question for you about uh, oh, the Jordan receivers. rules. Enough of the Jordan <laughs> rules. No. <laughs> All right, out of these wide receivers, who's going to have the best rookie season? CeeDee Lamb to the Cowboys, Jerry Judy to the Broncos, Ruggs to the Raiders, T. Higgins to the Bengals, or Justin Jefferson in Minnesota? If you're going to go by off a of talent, I mean, there's so many variables there because, like, for every 
Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, there's the offensive line variable. Then you look at Dallas. I'm like, oh, C.D. Lamb, that offensive line and Dak Prescott. But then there's the Dak Prescott factor that I'm like, you know, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not going to say T. Higgins. That offensive line scares the hell out of me. And Joe Burrow trying to learn the offense on top of running for his life scares me. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say T. Higgins. I'm going to say C.D. Lamb. And here's why. Because, not because of Dak Prescott, but because of Amari Cooper. Now, I think that you know, when you look at Boyd, Boyd and A.J. Green are going to take a lot of pressure off T. Higgins. But again, the criticism of the offensive line is going to impact A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and and Mixon and everybody else. So it doesn't matter. But when I look at the Dallas Cowboys, who have a great offensive line, who have a great running game, and now who have C.D. Lamb with Amari Cooper, I have to say that C.D. Lamb will have the best season of all of those receivers. Although, you know, Ruggs in Oakland, I, I don't know. There's a good running game. Offensive line's not terrible. There's still question marks with Carr. Uh, and then who went to Minnesota? Justin Jefferson. Just, he would be second on my list. I think he'll have the second really? best season. Mm. Because Cousins is a slinger, and I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're a playoff team. They're, but they're better when they just run the ball. <laughs> they're way better true. when they run the ball. They win games when they run the ball, like when he's throwing up. But are they running numbers. the ball because they don't have options down the field? I mean, we lose Diggs, and that was the replacement for Diggs. And Thielen. So. Two, two of the, that's so a down, combo. That was a combo. So I still think that you know Thielen will get uh, the you know the majority of the looks. Who else did Minnesota add? They lost Diggs. Now this is their replacement, right? Yes. Okay. I forget who else they got. Uh, I don't know. To me, C.D. Lamb. I think because now if they didn't have Amari Cooper, I would not say C.D. Lamb. But because Amari Cooper, um, I think that Amari Cooper is going to help him, and he's going to help Amari Cooper. I think that they're going to balance each other out. To be honest with you, I think it's C.D. Lamb by landslide because he's going to be working in the slot. Um, I mean. The fact that the Cowboys, I mean, Dak threw for almost 5,000 yards last year, and Cooper was great last year, especially if he was on your fantasy team. Hello. Uh, so I think it's CD first, and then uh, unpopular opinion, I think Jerry Judy, too. I think they're going to be taking a lot of shots downfield. But I just don't trust Denver. I don't trust Denver. I don't know why. I'm not a Revamp, big fan of Locke. Revamp. I'm not a friend of Locke. Got my guy, Drew they- Locke. Got... Uh, they uh, passed Gordon. on Jordan Love too. I was surprised there was a stretch where they love they got, You know, I, I, they love him all. What do you think? About I do. You like him? I like Drew Lock. I need another year of him before I don't have a strong opinion of him. To be mainly because I don't watch Broncos games, so I'm not going to come up here and just say I don't like him. But the name doesn't jump off the paper to me, so I just got to see. Uh, yeah, that's a good one too. Are we missing a receiver? Uh, well, Peoples Jones, but he wasn't a top receiver drafted, yeah. but he was a steal for the Browns. Uh, and besides, there's too many other options. I'm not going to put, you know, Peoples Jones. Yeah, in that Peoples Jones is going to be a special teamer for like year one, and he'll probably try to take somebody's job. OBJ, I'm looking at you. Ron message in said Tyler Johnson, Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. There's just but. But Ron, other, but yeah, guys. Ron, like that's why when I brought up Peoples Jones with the with the Browns, good receiver, same thing with you know Tyler Johnson. But there's too many guys. Tom Brady. If you th- we're talking about his checkdowns, if you th- Tyler Johnson ain't popping up on his checkdown <laughs> list, not in the top two or three options. So, you know, but that's where I'm at with with the Browns as far as that's concerned. You know, Baker Mayfield does stay stand in the pocket too long. He holds the ball too long. That's criticism. But I always get mad when people say he holds the ball too long because what we always get mad at about quarterbacks is that they, they don't let their receivers, they don't let their routes develop. Baker Mayfield does give them time to develop the routes. He steps up in the pocket, holds it too long, and takes the sack. But you know what I mean? Like That's a tough balance. That's why it's so tough to be a quarterback. That tough balance of 
being you know confident, staying in the pocket, not letting the pressure get to you, giving your receivers time to let the routes develop and not panicking and throwing to the first open thing that you see. You know, right. If there's a chance of a play developing down the field, that's so tough if you're a quarterback in any level of football, but you know, especially with what Baker Mayfield's in. Because then if he threw it too early, you'd be saying oh, he, he gets rid of the ball too early, which in the NFL, I don't know if there's such a thing anymore. But That's what happened with Mariota and other quarterbacks. You know, They turned into check-down Charlies, like scared mm-hmm. to take shots downfield, and uh, they... It's third and five, and you throw a three-yard completion. You know, you it, why don't you just take a shot downfield? Maybe you get a pass interference, or maybe your guy catch the ball. You know, you taking these checkdowns, you're not giving your chance, your receivers a chance to make plays. So, you know, the checkdown Charlies they normally have real high completion percentages and low per, yeah. per averages because they're not taking chances. So this. And, and again, that's what we've talked about, just the different offensive approaches that these teams um, have taken. I mean, who's going to be the Pistons of the NFL this year that's going to come up with this new yes, style? Uh, All right, here's what we're going to do, guys. Will we over- when we have league? a lead, when we have a lead, we're going to run the ball to take time off the clock. And we we're overlooked call it the biggest thing. The rules. We overlooked the biggest thing about the whole documentary last night. It was the Carmen fact- Electra. Yes, that Michael Jordan had that Carmen Electra was hiding in a hotel room while Michael <laughs> Jordan was trying to get. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Rodman took a vacation in the middle of the NBA season. Yo, the the fact that he took a vacation in the middle of the NBA season before the NBA All Star break. It's crazy. Yep. <laughs> and to go back to that too, you know, well the the people from the you know the the nineties fans. NBA was better in the nineties. They didn't ask for off days. Oh no, they just asked for vacations before the all star break to go to Vegas to, they didn't. to snort coke. This for individual a did. This individual did. But he did. That's the point. He yeah. did. Yeah, he did. Uh, Dennis yeah. Rodman did. MJ well, played all eighty two that year. He must have, it was in the fine print of the Jordan rules, you know, and there's just <laughs> these things that have never been heard of before that happened. Like sending someone to their weak hand, who would have thunk it? <laughs> the Detroit Pistons, that's who we'll be back in a moment to close it out. Hater. The folks at Odor Eaters want to express our deep appreciation for the healthcare professionals, first responders, and essential business employees who continue to do so much to take care of the rest of us. To all of you working harder and longer days. If our products can help make the days ahead a little more bearable, you can find them in stores and online at Walmart, Target, CVS, or other fine retailers. Thank you. Stay healthy and safe. The Last Dance, a 10-part documentary series on the Chicago Bulls dynasty of the 90s. Tune in Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Immediately following the broadcast, check out Jalen and Jacoby, The After Show, presented by AT&T for episode reaction. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Now, when you buy a new device, AT&T is offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup, along with a flexible return policy so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. Visit att.com to learn more. Subject to change restrictions apply. Back to the Justin Skinner Show, right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. You gotta watch Yellowstone. I'm telling you. Park? No, it's on Paramount. Paramount. I ain't got Paramount. I got Netflix, I got Hulu. You can meet me and Norbin making up these stupid email accounts to get the 24-hour free pass <laughs> just to try to watch a few episodes to see if it's even worth it. But Kevin Costner's the main guy in there. Really good, I'm telling you right now. Uh... Yeah. What is it called again? Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Really, really good. Yellowstone. What did I highly recommend? What did I watch this week? Oh, that's what I watched. I watched uh, How to Fix a Drug Scandal on Netflix. I heard people talk about that. What is that compared to? Is that like... uh is that like uh, making a murder? Is it similar yeah, to that? Yeah, similar. Um, basically, without giving anything away, there's two... Splash some over there. 
It's two drug labs in Minnesota. Minnesota. Not Minnesota. Uh, Massachusetts, I'm sorry. Massachusetts. Um, so one lab tech, um, she's a drug addict. And then the other lab she's on tech. She's crack. That, that also. The other lab tech got too involved. Like she started helping the police rig cases. And this is a true story. Rig cases. So it's like dirty cops, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, because my problem is I watch stuff too quickly. Like, if the MJ doc had dropped, like, all ten at once, I'd be done with it, and I'd be pissed. Like, Ozark, watched all in one day. Uh, Breaking Bad, I started that again. And I've now, like, I'm on my, like, eighth time through it, and I'm starting <laughs> to, like, okay, like, I've seen it enough. But then again, The Office, man, I could watch The Office for days. How you ha- how you've never gotten into The Office? I, I tried to watch, you know, before the gyms closed, um, I would download episodes. <laughs> I would download episodes, and I would try to watch them on... Netflix on the treadmill or whatever, but then I would get distracted. Um, so when gyms open again, maybe I'll get out a shot. Maybe there I'll get the office a shot. But for those of you out there who are looking for recommendations, man, I'm telling you, Yellowstone, you will not be disappointed. Nora told me what it was about, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was like, but every time she tells me about a show, I end up like really liking it. Like she told me about the following. The following was really good. Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. excellent. It's a little older, but not that much older. It's from 2010s, uh, but excellent. I loved. I mean, that show was like we binge watched the hell out of that. So yeah, my f- top five binging show top. I'm not even going to list the order. It don't matter. But like my top binging shows on Netflix, um, The Following, Kevin Bacon, and uh, obviously Ozark, Breaking Bad, and Better Call Saul. I have literally watched every single... Better Call Saul, I just watched the finale for that last Dude, week. I'm so far behind on that. I'm going to finish that this week. But That's so good, man. It's so, so good. Something you need to watch. You need to watch The Wire. That I, know the wi- I know The Wire came out in like... Three or something like that, and it's a it's it's a tad dated, you know, but it is still a great show. Is I'm talking like Breaking Bad levels, Ozark levels of good. So all right, we'll have to jump on that. So there you go. So just for those of you out there who are always asking on a good Netflix show to binge, Paramount Pictures is where. Paramount. Yellowstone is so you can't watch it on Netflix, but find a way. Make you know make make a fake account. You didn't hear that here. I uh, you know. There you go. But no, I'm telling you, it's so good. I, it, it is amazing. It really is. So you'll want to watch that. If you're looking for something to watch, and if you've watched it, tell me what you think. Do you agree? Uh, I'd like to hear your suggestions on Twitter as well, at 1410Kenner. Speaking of things to watch, uh, make sure that uh, you head to Facebook at uh, 1410 Wing AM's Facebook page and check out today's 1410 Wing Live episode with Adam Troutman, Dayton Flyers tight end drafted by the Saints. We touched base earlier today. Uh, but yeah, 1410 Wing Live, It's I, I'm having a blast doing it. We're bringing you different guests every single day. And uh, we had Marty Brenneman on Friday, which led to our Trevor Bauer interview. Marty Brenneman calls out Trevor Bauer, said that, uh, that he was weak uh, for not mentioning Marty's name and, and calling out the critical broadcasters and said that he should know about how critical Marty is because he got his ass handed to him every time he went out on the mound and had plenty of time to listen to him in the clubhouse. It got personal. Uh, So Marty Brunneman, Trevor Bauer is unbelievable. Go check out those interviews at wingam.com or at Facebook, uh, the station Facebook page, or on my Twitter at 1410Kenner. Folks, have a great night. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you had a great Monday. And here's to a great Tuesday. Until Tuesday, until tomorrow, this has been the Justin Kenner Show on 1410 ESPN Radio. 